All right, hey everybody, welcome to Dialogue Choices podcast again. We no one can stop us. We've that's proven endlessly true. People keep showing up in throngs to stop us. They like write signs like stop this podcast. It's un, it's unstoppable. It, it, this this train has no I keep seeing signs. Yeah, every or rails every time I go in or, or train. Every time I go out for a drive, it's like signs everywhere, stop, just, you know, yield and things. It's just they, they we don't give up. I'm here Thanks once on again with impressive. I'm Keith and I'm here once again with Andrew and Colonel RPG. Hey. Yes. Very good. <laughs> we have special <laughs> We have special guest Gold Vision with us this week. How would you like to introduce how's, yourself? How's it going? Uh Gold Vision's fine. It makes more sense with um consistency across the internet. Yeah. The uh is there like a a way that you would introduce introduce like your channel oh i'd say uh hello my name is gold vision but i guess i'd say it weird <laughs> <laughs> i mean like uh, sorry I, I meant like uh you don't have to say what, it that way like what you think of your channel is what i mean like like your uh, uh, uh what your intro as like a, a formal yeah. introduction yeah i guess um my name's gold vision and i play video games and i try not to attack anybody how's that I going do. It's um, it's been a ride. It's been it's a lot of effort, a lot more effort than I thought it would be, and uh, it started off as a joke, and then it's just kind of evolved and taken its own spirit. And I'm I feel like I'm more along for the ride at this point than anything else. It just be uh, kind it's, of it's it like tr- it like transcended into just like a fact as opposed to a game yeah, or a rule. Yeah, it um, I mean, it kicked off in Grand Theft Auto. I was trying to make. A series called Grand Theft Auto Pacifist about not uh, it, just kind of having a perspective of somebody who would jump into that game and not want to attack anybody. It's and a just fantastic show series too. This game, this game could be played, or see see how far you could get without doing what the game told you to. And it ended up becoming like this very deep introspective look at how I play video games, and then. The bigger thing that happened was people started recognizing me in Grand Theft Auto and then in other games and kind of expecting <laughs> certain things from me from that perspective. They expected me to be nonviolent. And then whenever I would do a live stream or any kind of other game, people would be surprised that I would attack people in maybe a Counter-Strike or something else. So um, eventually... It just became, it became something that I wanted to pursue. And there were a couple of key moments, if you're interested, that kind of really triggered the whole thing. Kind of fascinating. Um, yeah. Cause you're like, you, in a way you were kind of playing a character for like a YouTube series, but then yeah. that sort of started taking over outside of that series and started spreading. It's, yeah, it, partly it, partly because a, people wanted an idea it, and bigger than you me. wanted it. Yeah, yeah, it was an idea bigger than me, and I didn't realize it at the time. And then I feel more of an obligation to do it right than just to kind of explore and mess around with it, which makes it heavier and then more difficult, kind of across all platforms. There was a um, the the biggest key moment was when I did a live stream of Player Known's Battlegrounds, and I landed on the ground as you do it's battle royale i'm sure most people or a lot of people are familiar with it and 
I landed on the ground, I found a shotgun, and I could see somebody in a house. And I was like, I got to apologize to the people watching right now for what's probably going to happen. And I stood outside the door, and as the person inside the house came out, I um, fired the shotgun twice. And th- it felt like the room, the air got sucked out of the room in <laughs> wow. the chat. And it, it was this, it, I, I had like an actual physical reaction to it. And I don't think it's like a universal thing. I think it's a particular expectation that's been placed on me as I play games. And I feel like I've become something of a representative of nonviolence in games and the exploration that comes from that. So that kind of physical pain that I experienced was something that stuck with me for days. And it was really just a, a need to decide what I was going to do <laughs> yeah. about playing games in that perspective, either, either separate myself from the idea entirely or kind of continue to embrace it. So I haven't, I haven't made any like formal declarations that I, uh, I swear I will never attack anybody or anything like that, that makes it into a kind it's of just formal like experience. the observable trend in like yeah, growing it, expectation. It's very difficult. It's actually very difficult to be completely nonviolent in a lot of games. And I've, I've gone so far as to try to be non-destructive entirely. But then that, that kind of kicks you. Like, I was at the point where I would open Google Docs and I wouldn't delete characters. I would <laughs> continue to type. And then I wouldn't, if I, there were letters that I didn't want to use, I would move the cursor and type them away and then press enter enough that it would go down. And it was just, it kept going. I wanted to take it as far as I could find, as far as I could. Like any document that you wrote would like, like it would start with like a letter or like whatever, like the the content of what you'd written. And then if you just kept scrolling, it would start looking like the the far lands of Minecraft where it becomes increasingly incoherent (laughs) and noisy until it's just random punctuation. That's a perfect visual metaphor for that. And uh, that that wasn't a declaration. Once again, I wasn't saying I was going to be non-destructive no matter what. It was an exploration of what it means and what the value of these behaviors is. Because I don't I don't think universally video games should be nonviolent. I don't I don't think that there's like this moral or ethical standard that says that no video game should have violence in it. I think that's almost absurd. Honestly, borderline censorship and the refusal to explore ideas in those directions because there's so yeah. many opportunities in video games to do so many interesting and non-traditional things it cuts and off so, so it, many verbs yeah it's, but, especially when we're talking about narratives yeah, i feel but, like the tension like, that is inherent to violence in general like there's and and that's even without considering that there are multiple types of violence which i'm sure uh, gold. Uh, yeah, like there's so many. There's like a whole spectrum of what could be considered violence, but also like mm-hmm. absolutely, it's an entire medium defined by its interactivity. So cutting off a huge percentage of the verbs entirely is like not the right move either. But uh, no. I, I think about like because I, I bring this up every now and then during certain playthroughs or or game types, just and it kind of comes up when you, when you just kind of play something that's just fundamentally different, like Return of the Oberdin or uh, Papers Please, or just when you play something that questions the role of violence like undertale or pathologic to some extent where i just bring up this question during playthroughs sometimes of like isn't it strange how 
for for a huge percentage of video games, violence is just the assumed default. And like, there's just like, sure. it's not that having violence hobbles video games, but that video games can go further by not just assuming violence. It's I, I think of them as violence only games, where the only solution to get to the next room or complete the task is to destroy something or someone. And I think that it reduces the creative solutions in any particular narrative to uh, limit the player by preventing them from exploring any kind of action that they would otherwise normally be able to conduct, like breaking down a door instead of killing yeah. somebody who drops the key. That kind of, that kind of. That's why asking dichotomy. the question is so powerful as well, because it's not about you know it's it's as you're saying like it's not necessarily about saying making a statement about the video games in general is just raising the question itself is powerful enough that it allows you to see things with a different perspective. It definitely changes a lot of the perspectives of the games I play, but it also really restricts them. I, I got Borderlands three and I was going, oh. to, <laughs> I was going to just go as far as I could. And I got to the first gate entrance and it's just kind of a brawling room that you have to take everybody out in with security cameras and, Clearly, uh, it's just a series of kill walls, like firewalls that you have to bust through. And since I wasn't willing to do that, I had to stop playing pretty much right out of the gate. And then yeah. there's other games that are more open world that are more attractive for this principle. Because as soon as you can get into that open world, you can wander and then pursue your own goals. And it becomes much more... Um, existential in open world games because they're often so open-ended with their goals. Like there might be a series of initial tasks that they'll give you that the narrators will give you the programmers. But after that, the game doesn't necessarily have an ending. There's beginning and endings of different quests chains and task chains, but essentially you're the character and you can do whatever you want to. And that has also led me to be more of an experiential gamer, as I consider it, where my goal is more to have positive and good experiences in a game than to be objectively measured in my successes in those games. I would rather um, have, a f have a fun experience in a virtual reality game for five minutes than spend 20 minutes doing something I didn't enjoy and then being told I won, for example. And right. that, that perspective is fair. It's not, I don't think it's completely relatable. And I also feel like I've been walking the path in um, almost solitude. Then I try to like make a video, <laughs> express it to people, but it, it feels so distant from the traditional way that people play games. And it's definitely not a path that I'm uh, advocating for until I get somewhere that is clearly meaningful and clear, but it's, um, it's definitely changed the way that I play games and has opened up just a lot of a lot more questions about why I do anything. <laughs> and yeah, what, I'm what currently the watching experience you is. desperately try to get past the first mission of Cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that, that, was that my did most, not go well. Which I, I imagine it, you, um, you hoped that you could get to the open world before you had mandatory violence. So you could like wander around in it and that's not what happens. Yeah. It's, you are in the overworld at the beginning, but I do that first mission with kind of a hope that I'll just get to the city, to Night City, and then be able to do it. I was actually more discouraged by that 
that tree bug from the um the driver issue that placed trees all over the world that made me think it was less important to explore the outside world and also trusting the did you get the tree the bug yeah oh you did get the not, tree not bug. the tiny tree bugs, i've heard of but that the, um it's i don't know why it happened but oh, it's i updated the drivers st- and it seemed to go away but it, it really oh, I see um, yeah, you're driving around the countryside and every shrub seemingly from across the entire landscape yeah. is rendering like on a higher RTX Photoshop on. layer than the rest of the world, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really weird. You have plane. x-ray vision, but only for small shrubs that are in the far distance. It's, I it's shrub about, vision. I wondered about that. Like, can, so like, as you're, when you, if you play, if you can get past, if you were able to get past the violence in the beginning, would you have gone a no, no anything route? Like you would have not like even knocked out a person. I, yeah, my, well, it's a series of lines. I like to think about like, try not to just try not to take anything that's not mine. Try not to destroy anything. And then you'd keep stepping it up and then definitely never crossing the line of killing somebody. The, there was a news article uh, last year about how the game was promising that you could complete it without killing anybody and <laughs> that seems kind of open-ended anyway because the cyberpunk's conceit of how everybody's kind of digitized in a way so is it really murder but when you um even when conflict happens in that first mission if people fall over then they're just they're still alive even though they've been shot a bunch of times and they're just kind of writhing and so then technically they're not dead, and so technically it's a it's like a no kill kind of experience. But that goes against my desire to not attack anybody, and so I want to get past that part without um, kill or without attacking anybody, if possible. And that that's the that's the perspective that keeps going. And I touched on this a little bit before about how I feel like games are evolving, and when you when you buy a game or you invest in one or you keep paying into one, you're supporting the developers who are then building the next iteration of that game. And if they don't hear the voice of people who are pursuing this kind of gameplay, then they won't investigate it while at the same time, because these narratives are so fluid and so subject to change, I feel like developers could address these situations and make them possible to be completed and more nonviolence and more interesting um, perspectives. So let me get this straight. They they prom- they announced that Cyberpunk 2077 was supposed to be finished without killing anybody? It, it, not supposed to be, but or, uh, it was uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, finish, I'm finishable, yeah. Finishable like that. Oh, man, that's... That feels like so, almost dishonest, really, because <laughs> well, they did especially like, like from a, they did like a couple weeks ago say that the game works surprisingly well on on last gen consoles, and then it came out and surprisingly it's well, been pulled from the Sony store. So my God, there's been a few layers uh, of dishonesty. I'm asking this because the um, that's true, yeah. Uh, well, they, but I'm they, asking I this because the good news I don't is think you could call it dishonesty. They just lied. Like it's just lying. Well, yeah. Like you can't dishonesty is a slightly nicer version, maybe perhaps dishonest way of saying lie. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, they just they flat out lied. There's no like you can't. Yeah, there's no nice way to say like, oops, yeah. we lied to you. Like, but what uh, the good news what is, gold gold is saying is that. Sorry, go ahead. The gold. Sorry. The good news is the gold vision has it on PC, so. 
there will be the inevitable yeah. Fallout yeah. 3 and New Vegas style skip the intro mod that'll let him just be in the open world. But th- but then he'll just be disappointed by <laughs> by the rest <laughs> of the game. <laughs> the reality of Cyberpunk's open world. I uh so, I did try to film an episode that was just engaging with the open world and just wandering and not chasing objectives the whole time and it's not much of a simulation <laughs> it's a it does not compare favorably to the seven-year-old grand theft auto 5 sure. so you know the reason i asked that was because if you uh so if you knock people out um like if you you know if you knock someone out and and try to hide the body so that way no one else notices uh the bin consumes them <laughs> as, oh, in, no. as, in, as in like they aren't there anymore it just despawns them from the world i mean uh, you can keep throwing people into the same bin and it's empty every time you throw them in it <laughs> and so that's why i was curious like if you knock someone out and throw them away you killed them they like it's stop just, yeah. existing <laughs> in this world it's like that's if you the trust slope the slope too yeah. That, yeah that's the same thing like with like you... voting in among us or any kind of slight existing movement in, among us. in that direction you you can't you can't trust the game systems to be consistent with the reality that we're familiar with and so maybe sure i press this button and this guy goes away for a second but now they're completely gone they've been removed from the game and i crossed the line i didn't want to not because yeah. i was trying to kill them but because the game system's inconsistent so i have to kind of play it real soft and real like <laughs> any any kind of like mandatory violent game that i play with uh, different groups of people. I'm always afraid I'll step on a tile or something on the that ground that will activate something someone. that'll blow up. <laughs> yeah, and and for yeah. most players, they're like, thankfully, I don't have to attack this person now. I've watched this whole thing happen. But for me, it's the antithesis of what I'm trying to achieve. So it's I have the to cause and effect. Play the that, backfield yeah. and and cautiously progress through these games and explore what they the different things that they have to offer. And it's much more of like an aesthetic examination to to see things and it, it's very it's it's a much slower pace but then it becomes much more about appreciating the art as it's presented instead of kind of blasting through objectives and getting to the end as i normally played games in the past so there's a big contrast there of just trying to avoid accidentally doing damage <laughs> it's often ends up being I, harder than i, I asked about cyberpunk um cyberpunk uh like uh, advertising uh, the non-violent path because rpgs have a, a relatively old tradition of allowing for that uh computer mm. R- uh, rpgs i don't know if you've ever played the original fallout gold uh not the original the, the top-down one yeah, yeah i'm talking yeah the 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 original the first two fallouts were top-down and the first yeah. one in specific you could finish without actually fighting in combat but obviously the lines of violence and the lines of uh, being aggressive and causing somebody's demise were still crossed it's very much a, a violent world and and uh i mean there's sure. the worlds at stake and all that but there's also the other side which is what you're saying about cyberpunk it seems like there's it's the deus ex sort of approach where you shoot people with tranquilizer darts instead of bullets but they effectively die anyway um in the sense of that they can't get revived because they're gone effectively. In right. the n- newer Deus Exes, they actually can get revived if their companions go there. So the mechanics change a little bit. But I feel like that's what Cyberpunk did is just... You don't really kill them. It's just... It's green blood instead of red. 
sort of <laughs> trust sure. us. They're fine. Sure. They're, yeah. <laughs> asterisk, asterisk. Yeah, technically. <laughs> technically. So that, yeah, it becomes a more about the experience than trying to walk away from the game performance feeling like I did my best effort to advance the narrative, be part of it, but also not just fall into the obligations of it if they cross lines that I don't want to. And that uh, it becomes interesting enough to do pretty much in most games, although a lot of them I don't get very far, and a lot of them I need other players to take over. I've I've tried that. I tried that with Spider Man. Yeah, a non-violent the, playthrough of Spider Man. For, it was, it was a non-killing one. It I felt like it was okay to shoot webs at people and stick them to walls when they were armed people, like reducing the violence of the system, and then not not hurting them because it would never hurt them, health bar wise. <laughs> so on the game's own terms. <laughs> I can shoot spider webs attach. And so I spent all my, you know, uh, spec points just upping the, the power of the webs and then attaching people to all kinds like of crowd walls. control and I spend, playthrough of Spider-Man. Yeah. And it was, that was it. And once they all got attached to the walls, then they were, they were no longer triggers in the, the game world. So you could complete all the missions, most of the missions. Okay. And so for the few missions that you had to, it was just boss battles. I handed the controller over to somebody else to advance the narrative. And I don't, I don't think that technically counts as a, like a full pacifist run because you still have to, it, it's these like, because you're, you're finding obligations a way to, to of, the out of parts of the game. Yeah. I, it's like choosing not to, to play it. And the, to your point of mods, um, I still don't know how I even feel about that because there's a part of me that thinks if if a game is kind of just a series of art museums that you get to walk through and triggers that you get to experience, and I don't want to attack people in a game, could I just download or modify the game so that way I can unlock all those doors, experience the whole world, open the doors in Borderlands, and get to do everything and be everywhere without falling into their obligations of the narrative that are seemingly arbitrary. And I, it, that's where it seems like in theory, I, sh- I should do that. So that way I can enjoy the whole game without, <laughs> without attacking anybody because that was, that's the aspiration, but it doesn't sound right for some reason. Possibly. That's yeah. Where the, I wasn't so much thinking the, about sorry. how to beat the game so much as just being able to skip to the open world and kind of wander around in it. <laughs> without uh having to be blocked from the entire open world and being able to wander in it by like a one hour mandatory story intro that that those games infamously have but it probably wouldn't be a solution beyond that the grand theft auto has that um for a while like it would update and then it would reset the single player which it would force you to complete to (laughs) get online (laughs) yeah And so um, it happened once and I had somebody else do it for me, play the online or play the tutorial because there's, there's just a part where you have to kill a security guard and the game freezes. Like this is where you learn how to use a firearm in this game. And this is the person you learn it on. And if you just kind of fire it into the air, 
because it freezes your character's movement. If you fire it and miss the guy, then he shoots you. And if you shoot him in the gun, it kills him. And so <laughs> there's no, there's, it's really just this mandatory forced experience. And so I've since then saved the save state of that game so I could copy it back over. <laughs> Every time they reset your player. progress. Because I, I mean, I did, I played single player Grand Theft Auto um, probably 30 hours. The yeah. original back, back when. I think I and just, just played it normal. I think I just about completed it. I was like in the process of doing all the stunt jumps. Like I was that far down the list. Oh. I got, I got really, I got really far, but I got to a point where it was, <laughs> it was just like very complicated missions, and they wanted me to drive all, all over Los Santos, and the multiplayer was coming out, and I was just not, I was not interested in <laughs> like the traffic for some reason. It was, it was too close to home to like come home from work after a work <laughs> after like a week of driving an hour-long commutes and then just saying okay you need to drive to the valley to go pick up some computer parts <laughs> like i just i just did that so I, i'm gonna i'm gonna explore other things and i think that's that's the other thing about the uh the exploration the experiential part is that so many games now and i was i was never great about it to begin with but a lot of games don't get played to completion and so if you're not if game if you don't have that that completionist perspective which thankfully I don't because it feels like it would be very hard <laughs> to to have that kind of OCD need to get all the achievements and everything but if you don't have that then uh the joy comes from doing what you want to in the game world and then that just becomes an exploration of what what is important to you what experiences do you want and then from that perspective, are developers creating the games that are based on the things that we want to do? And can they do that better if we highlight what we like to do and what we're trying to do and what's important to us rather than just following along in the little book that they wrote? A little 3 feel museum version of it. Do you ever feel that the, the fact that you make videos of your experience changes changes your not necessarily your choices or maybe your choices, but it changes how you experience the, the games. The fact that you're I, on camera, the fact that you're recording. I think that record, I think people should record their gameplay and just watch it back and just understand themselves better. Mm. <laughs> I, I know that I, I think I really think that I noticed it more in the past when I would first start to do it, I, I was like just watching it down. It's like, why did I go that way? I knew <laughs> I, I, I had gone the right way several times before. And now I'm just in this, I'm completely derailed. I'm in the wrong place. This is not interesting to me to have gone this way. And so then I catch myself when I play now and try to focus on doing the things that are optimized and most interesting and most aligned and harmonious with the behaviors that I want to have done and so i think it it definitely changes my gameplay perspective and then to make videos about it it definitely allows for a lot of comedy to to look back at what i did and just say why wow, that's it was such a misstep it's just hilarious and then go after myself with jokes about just how badly i decided to move in whatever direction it was but I, I think it's important trap. to it's <laughs> you can get lost in your own mind and then and just be in a place that you don't want to be. So it, it 
it definitely turns on a lot of buttons in your head about paying attention to what's important in games, which I think improves your gameplay experience to go back and see it all. I've I've been agonizing over autopilot a little bit lately because it's always a thing constantly just doing let's plays and whatnot. Like you constantly will just kind of take actions and make moves just because it's time to keep going. It's time to keep the video going and all that. But absolutely significantly worse is that I've been playing in Overwatch. My main has kind of become Lucio and he has like autopilot mechanics and that he just will like attach to a wall and just move and he'll continue going. And so like I have all these moments where I'm like, I know not to do that. Why did I do that? Because the, uh, the ability to be conscious of every moment of every gameplay, uh, every moment of gameplay in for continuous sessions is like really difficult without uh, just falling into just automatically doing something and then making a big mistake and so on. Absolutely. Definitely live streaming has a different perspective in that same way where you want to make sure that it's interesting. Even if you're playing with somebody who's just watching, you want to keep going, you want to get to that next place and so you might spend less time customizing your character or doing doing something that you might just you might want to just sit there and learn about some system in the game but you don't have the time for it oh yeah so you you can't you can't be doing that and spend 20 minutes just going through menus looking at all the different things that you might someday explore you have to focus on carefully read this lore and tutorials (laughs) and then be told that that's boring or do I not read them and then be told that it was right there? Why didn't you read it? <laughs> it's funny because for yeah. me, it's the opposite. Live streamings are, are live streams are where I basically waste time and, and just ramble about things that I shouldn't be rambling about. And then on the on the let's plays that I do is it's that's that's where I'm like most conscious about what is interesting for a viewer, what kind of people you know, what kind because people watch videos also with different. Um, different people watch videos with different objectives. Some want to watch the game, others want to be engaged. And so you have to please all of them at the same time. Or as many as you can. Oh, yeah. yeah I, obviously. <laughs> Striking the middle ground or something. It's. Um, yeah, I, I noticed you... I haven't watched many of your videos, Gold. Uh, I did watch the Cyberpunk one, uh, and you record with another person. Jen, is it? Yes. So is I think the when you say that... It, you find it funny and, and humorous to go back and rewatch stuff. Um, I, I does that play? A, does that play? Is that part of the the reason why? Because it's a multiplayer, um, or do you record many multiplayer sessions? I oh, not multiplayer. I, um, I, that was but. actually maybe one or two I've done with Jen. I often do it by myself, but it's nice to have somebody to bounce off of. I, I feel like, like I was saying earlier, the kind of obligation to maintain the nonviolence and the um, non-destructive choices, it, it feels better to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. That way I don't get yeah. trapped in my head. Just because, like I said, it, it feels like I'm kind of walking this tr- this journey alone. I don't know a lot of other people. I, lo- I looked up to see if anybody else was doing a pacifist run for Cyberpunk. And somebody did say... Or a pacifist run says, YouTube channel. It says pacifist, but it's... It's the word fist, and they said they're punching everyone. <laughs> and so it's, oh. it's kind of fun. It's kind of funny, but it's not, it's, it's just not, it's not what, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a different thing. deceptive. I call it's, my fist the pacifiers. <laughs> uh, it, it's, and it, that's fun, and it's, uh, it's a different thing, but yeah, because, like it, because there's the obligation, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Did you have a question a minute ago, Andrew? About? I thought, you, I thought you tried to cut in a moment ago, so I tried to, like, remember. Oh, no, the, uh, I, yeah, there's just, um, I, when I think back to the way I play games, I play them more as, like, I, I'm a passing deity. So, <laughs> like, I, I am a god. Everything that happens is my will and desire. No one can stop me because that is what I have decided. And no one has the power to because I am the player. And so I have too much, I have too much, like, authority over any universe. So if someone comes to me, like, Outer Worlds was a great example of, like, Oh, but, you know, like, think of the... No, I don't have to think of anything. I, this isn't my world. This is your problem. And I can just blast my way through everything. Do whatever I want and then just leave it behind. Because there's nothing... <laughs> there, there's nothing to stop me from doing it. And so all of my decisions are selfish and based completely on what I want. And, like, you know, there's... uh, Like, Cyberpunk's a good example where someone is like, Oh, I do this horrible thing, but I'm going to give this to you so that way you can help someone else i'm like okay yeah but you still did a horrible thing and i just blow their brains out and move on it's like yeah but they gave you the thing it's like yeah but i decided that i didn't think that was good enough and i really like the that, thing that word I, passing deity sorry. yeah and like the, and, and I the really, thing i don't I'm sorry i just really liked it and the thing i don't like the most is actually when games hinder me from doing that like yeah. i like huh? games where people can't be you can't just like decide yeah. to shoot somebody for example yeah there was there was actually a really uh cyberpunk is another good example where there's somebody doing something that i was really really upset about and the game wouldn't let me do anything to them the game was like no you you can't shoot them and i'm like what what they are literally making me uncomfortable let me shoot them. <laughs> it's like that's the whole were, like, were you playing a bethesda game they do, well, they do tend that's to do thing. that yeah and yeah it's like <laughs> I, Annoy you I don't know. and not allowed to kill him. <laughs> it's it's weird. It's just weird to me. Like when you have this, uh, when some games will throw out this sense of freedom, and then you go and like, okay, well, let's test that. And it goes, okay, well, freedom with an asterisk. And it's like, no, that's <laughs> not freedom. Then you just, uh, it, it's still. Like, that's that's the kind of funny uh, thing is that like you both because despite those being two points of views that sound completely contrary to each other they're both basically just asking for games to have more options and more features and more freedom which most in many cases especially these rpgs and open world games just would make them better yeah yeah absolutely have massively sure. divergent playthroughs in case in, in fact in many cases that's what they're essentially promising and then we find out each time when they come out whether or not that <laughs> promise was met <laughs> I think yeah, it, it definitely I, seems harder to do than. I don't um, know if it's necessarily very hard because it's it's about th thinking narratives in a, just in a different perspective. Like, I, I I don't personally have the experience of me of being a dungeon master or or a game master in a tabletop role playing game, but I think it's the same problem that many um, dungeon masters have when they're they make their stories for tabletop. Uh, is that they 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 make this? Oh my god! Is that is the that the final of, forum? A gold a gold vision tabletop RPG character? <laughs> no, I'm saying what I'm saying is like in terms of how difficult it is. When if you think a story like uh, like in a movie where it has a beginning, uh, you know, and end and end, and you have like all these story beats that you need to go through. Obviously, it's going to be always a compromise in a video game because you can't have like a full tabletop, like all all dynamic real world simulation situation but the story can still be detached enough from those story beats that allows the player to have its their own understanding of what is going on 
whether you're trying to approach it from a, a passing deity perspective or from uh, a, a some a more conservation and uh, <clears throat> preservation of life and nonviolence and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and RPGs really lend themselves to that because there's so many moral quandaries inherently attached to the stories that they are told that you're allowed to, even by saying the same thing, two characters can say the same thing, but just because we have the, a different perspective of what we're trying to say, even if it's the same sentence, the same dialogue, dialogue option, or the same action, it doesn't matter, the the meaning behind that can be different depending on your perspective. Um, what I what I think happens with RPGs, especially AAA RPGs, is that they, they try to go for like these big stories and these big more morals and just like oh the world is being saved or everything. And I, I I I'm sort of I'm on the I finished Mass Effect for the third time today. The first Mass Effect Holy I haven't crap. played it in a, in a long in a long time, and I finished it it's now. Um, and uh, there's like this big big ending bit that is it's a choice that the player makes. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, but it has to do with the, the basically galactic government, uh, and the game has this very narrow understanding of what the that the council, the, the, this, the this galactic government thing that Mass Effect has, um, it has this very narrow understanding of what the council is, and because the developers really didn't care for allowing the player to have their own understanding of what the council is, they just have your character say the things that the developers thought the council was, and. And so my choices basically get decontextualized simply because the developer wanted to tell their own story, and instead of allowing sure. the player to just make up the make up the context, sure. it's that forced narrative. Yeah, it's 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 part of why, in a weird way, Western RPGs are one of my favorite genres, is because they, it's like a whole genre that has decided to, like, pursue the impossible task of basically making D and D in a video game. Like they're trying in yeah. different, they have different approaches of what that means to them, but they're, but they're all different. Like, how do we do the impossible thing of pre-scripting a thing that's about you making up your own reactions from scratch, essentially, and what that means. And for a large number of them, it often just amounted to, well, you can attack things. And when you get, if you kill enough things, a number goes up and then, then you get to pick where some of the numbers <laughs> go. And then you get to pick the good or bad options and some dialogue sometimes. But then we're getting really interesting expressions of those mechanical sets with games like uh, Pathologic, Disco Elysium, and Pyre, where they go in a massively divergent direction where they start figuring out, like, okay, how do we how do we make the gameplay part of the role-playing choices? How do we make failure a story branch? And how do we make... Uh, how do we add as much depth as possible to the actual process of thinking and talking as opposed to just just picking the good or bad options or the charm option if you have enough charm <clears> points and the, the, like that, that 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 whole process and then attacking that from the opposite side is is the is the uh pure physical mechanics approach to that kind of role playing which is like the looking glass style games the 0451 games like bioshock and prey or old trying to figure out like how do we let this intense level of role-playing freedom or invention or problem-solving leak into our mechanics by just giving the player enough sandbox tricks or special things to let them just start doing crazy things that we didn't even mean for them to do as their solutions? And what and it, the perfect game is like a Disco Elysium Prey, <laughs> where like it's got all the depth on the mechanics and all the depth depth on the storytelling and character 
moments and and like your Thanks. inner your More inner freedom. world and that will never happen but i'll keep watching them try fallout the original fallout honestly and fallout 2 as well to a degree approaches that the most of any game that i know because they're games that do allow you to have a large degree of, of mechanical freedom in, in the game not just because of the exploration aspect and, and the interaction with the world but also um allowing you specifically in in regards to you know abstaining from combat or just finding in different ways but at the same time it's just f so focused on on the exploration of, of little storylines and little side quests it's um it's it's really quite something i i like obviously it's a very old game but it, i think it, you mentioned the, the one you were talking about how computer role-playing games try to be basically the tabletop experience of the nd uh, and other tabletop RPGs, um, in it, but in a computer form, that's very much the case, obviously. But it's also, I think, the fact that you have games like um, uh, Diablo and uh, and uh, oh yeah, that's that's why I refuse to call those RPGs. <laughs> the thing is, those exist because there's a big contingency of people, or big, a big contingent of, of people. Yeah, the worst people play, play D and D with. But there, like, there's a big pop. I I didn't have that that uh, growing up. I didn't have that uh, experience, but uh, uh, and certainly didn't have that perception. But there's a, there's a lot of people that play RPGs, t tabletop role playing games. I mean, to just you know to level up and just be as, as they'll engage with the role playing. But they they they're 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 first and foremost about how good their char character is at combat and how oh, yeah. they can exploit leveling up. I've, t I've yeah. told the story in some context, but I'll mention it here too. Is like I played, we played Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, it only lasted like a session or two, and I got all into my character of like I I, I took the uh, I, I used like the Beast race. That's the same one that I used in the video game when I would later play that. And I like layered on all of these like these different flaws, and was was fascinated by the fact that you could like take flaws optionally, and that and they give you they gave you upsides. But like I took some severe ones to the point where like I literally would have to be some kind of like masked wanderer because I couldn't even pass the masquerade in person all the time. Like I always looked, uh, I always oh, looked non cool. non passing, and it would only get less passing every time I like hulked out. It would have permanent. Uh, effects on my appearance and so on and like i was all interested in seeing the potential of that on a role-playing perspective and how that would play out in scenarios and like the disguises and things but then i have these two people in our party that are just murder hobos so like at one point sid drops us in this uh suburban neighborhood at nighttime because at nighttime because vampires and all that and we're like seeking some kind of information or looking for something but like what Jake and, and uh, Ben do is they just knock down the first door they see and like kill everyone inside and like a burning person comes screaming out and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I'm so confused and I'm like, I don't know what's happening right now. And it's, I'm realizing like, oh, they're seeing this as like a Diablo level. Like they're on a map. You go around and just click on everything. You loot all the objects and kill all the things that aren't you. And that's just how they didn't even think to not think of it that way. But I'm like, it's just a suburban neighborhood at night. And this is the vampire game where you're supposed to not blow the masquerade that vampires exist. And they're just like mass murdering a suburban neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, we've fundamentally had a different understanding of what these are as games. And yeah, then, yeah it's a pretty miserable setting to role play in because it's uh nothing interesting happens <laughs> it's just well, grinding and min maxing 
Oh yeah, uh, you mean a setting as and in people and like D and D is the slowest, most boring way to grind and min max. Like you might <laughs> as well just go play a video game because it does the math for you. And that's the thing. Like that's why Western R- that's a, a large part of Western RPGs are that, and certainly m- most JRPGs are that as well. Uh, is that it, it, it is uh, games and a way to to satisfy that need for people to min max and to level up. And to look at new, really items. feel that progress. Yeah, and it's that's really, I think um, that that's virtuous cycle. The fact that those leveling. people exist it, it shapes the genre as a whole and has shaped the genre. Absolutely, as a whole. absolutely. How many layered progression systems can we tell you are doing something at the same time? <laughs> it's part of the reason <laughs> why every every open world game or every like completely non RPG style game now has RPG mechanics. And one of the next one of the next versions of that is uh, not just loot, but crafting systems, because you feel like you're constantly making some kind of progress or getting rewards if you're just picking up items all the time. And like, for example, Ghost of Tsushima was really guilty of this, of just like you just kind of mindlessly pick up like, oh, I got some iron or whatever on my samurai adventure. And like, you don't really know, like those have the opposite effect on me. Like I was really sad. Yeah. I was really sad when I played uh, Skyward Sword because and overall I think Skyward Sword's fine like it's it's flack is weird that it got, gets it's a little overblown but in Zelda games specifically they're not modern open world games that you don't pick up an iron and then find out later why you care about that or if if you if, if ever which maybe in many in some games you amass resources for 20 hours and then it never actually mattered and you're like i don't know why i kept picking things up but there, there was glue and it said i could pick it up but uh <laughs> in in zelda games it's like i got the hook shot i got a heart piece and like it's so concrete in what kind of progress you're making and you immediately, and yeah, and you immediately know what it, what it does. You're like, oh, I got a new device that does something that nothing else did before, <clears throat> or I literally got a bigger health bar in a game where that thing can just go, <laughs> and so you really value the health bar when you, whenever it goes up, and those little those little hearts pop up. Uh, That's and ab- definitely a br- yeah, sorry. And like Skyward Sword, abstracting that into like, I got a beetle. I got uh, there's like a. It's like a regular skull, and then there's like a gold skull, and they think I need three tumbleweeds and a piece of glue to add durability to my shield, but I don't remember. And it's like, no, just just give me a just give me a new shield. It's <laughs> just like uh, I, I, fewer, very concrete, cool upgrades feels great, which is why Bastion was like one of the best games ever made, because uh, it's just like, hey, you just get new weapon, and each weapon is a completely category. It's it's not like oh, this is the sharper sword it's like no this one is a completely different category of weapon than any other one you've seen before and opens up entirely new ways of playing the game as opposed to like making the previous one irrelevant therefore not giving you more content just different looking versions of the same content spreads out the work over the items instead of just big stair steps you're just kind of going up a ramp piece by piece like I, I never, yeah, I, I could go the rest of my life without picking up a game, playing a game again where guns have stats. <laughs> yeah, because like, the thing that, that's the failing of of, um, I think that the failing of maxing out that sort of uh, oh let's make everything level up is that, that the the thing is I can't I don't want to dismiss people who enjoy that because obviously there are a lot of people who enjoy that feeling of okay I got three percent more critical chance sure. with this weapon I'm gonna swap it out, um, but. The, 
the the problem with that is that it uh, to it sacrifices everything else to for for that feeling like the games become exclusively about the 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 slow grind because i think it's also it's just so it's such a failing of creativity too like three percent more something is the most boring upgrade you can have in in the world and in many cases the games will be entirely that like uh yeah like for me like i I opened up cyberpunk and there's like 15 skill trees and each skill tree has like 20 nodes in a weird web of unreadable mess and i like searched that for like which of these give me a mechanic which of these do something new because a lot of them are like three percent shotgun damage and it's like wow i'll really feel that in the when i while i'm playing through this game <laughs> that's gonna revolutionize the experience in a very real way isn't it especially like, when you encounter enemies that are three percent stronger against shotgun attacks <laughs> and so you never immediately really feel anything until yeah, you go like back the, to the beginning it's just kind of noise <laughs> The problem is like uh, I uh, the, I've had this conversation on some of my let's plays and conversation with myself obviously that I uh, the ap- the aspect of of uh, increasing your power needs to come uh, or rather it it needs to be part of a, a, a tactical decision or a strategy decision you can't you can't like it's fun to have your character feel stronger but it's what what's more like. I think people misunderstand and developers do that as well, but certainly players do that. And that's why some games are successful when they probably shouldn't be, is that whenever you're whenever you get a weapon that is like 50% more damage, that can't be or the 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 feeling that you like that you get from oh, this is good, isn't that you're gonna have a, a faster gameplay experience that you it isn't that you're going to be oh i'm going to beat the game so fast i'm just going to get done with this that's not the the that's not what you, what you're really feeling what you're feeling when you get a better weapon is that you are given a better strategical option or a new option and and so oh, yeah. that's why getting a weapon that does ice damage and a weapon that does fire damage is good your sword even, swings it, now deflect projectiles that's just that's more strategy that you are able to put into your game it, it doesn't need to be specifically applied to combat it can be applied to anything but yeah the, the, uh, and the, pa- the fact that so many players from thinking about communism <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> to, to talk about a, an actually real mechanic in disco Elysium. exactly <laughs> exactly the thing is like people miss that the, the developers as well but certainly the players don't understand that what they're actually what is rewarding to them is the the tactical freedom that they're given by their character getting better rather than just numbers. And then developers just either don't understand that or actively don't care. And they just make the game the easiest game they can make because, you know, making interesting games is difficult. So they just make it, you know, look at that well, 3% more ice damage. Well, yeah, I often, I often see it as it being like a mandated feature. So then they just fill it out because they need to, as opposed to because they feel particularly inspired that they, they want this mechanic in the game. Yeah, and what that's that's what Super Giant is often really good about is like no, this does new mechanic, and like one of the most fascinating things about their approach to Hades being a roguelike and all that is that like they, you pick up so many uh, upgrades that are just they just change how your character works instead of giving you just raw stats, and that's like just fundamentally a more interesting way to play a game by and large. Yeah, and I absolutely. think I remember, and specifically, I was trying to remember because it's been like four years now. Since I played them, but I think I remember the Deus Ex reboot games being better about this is that they themselves are a cyberpunk RPG style game 
but you, your skill tree quotes was a uh, was an augment screen, and you were getting new augments on your body, and so they almost exclusively gave you new abilities completely from scratch, or f- opened up new entire ways to play the game instead of giving you I'm like ten percent breach capacity. I'm playing Human Revolution right now, and that's more or less how it works. And that's how it, they should it isn't, be. Every it game. isn't exclusively like that, but yeah, that's but, uh, yeah, absolutely. But absolutely, Cyberpunk's weird because it does have that. It has an entire section where you get to choose cybernetic mods you add to your body, which can change how you play the game. Like I have a double jump option uh, because I added extendo legs, so I'm like Inspector Gadget, and. <laughs> uh, but then there's also like there's also an upgrade to reduce fall damage. It's like what, <laughs> what? Like wouldn't the legs that are bouncy springs also reduce the fall damage? Like why wouldn't you just put that there? Like the the payoff is you get reduced fall damage or you get the jump bonus and reduce fall damage. But the the downside is like I don't know maybe you're heavier or like maybe like it's so weird that they have. Uh, like yeah deus ex does this really well like every upgrade you get is modifying yourself to be less and less human whereas in cyberpunk it's like yeah you could be just a full-on synth but also you get these upgrades on the back end so like i have you know great ability i have all these crazy things i can do like 15 ram deck slots but then i also have to go and upgrade my ram deck to make it like useful because giving myself ram deck slots doesn't mean anything uh yeah and I, I i don't know the old deus ex i really appreciated the uh, the skill the the level the the, the skill tree in that one it's yeah, feeling impactful original... and interesting and all that yeah yeah there's actually like and th- and making a decision on it mattered to the story too because the whole point was like you were augmented against your will and so the idea is like well how much more are you willing to augment yourself just to like find the you know like to to reach the end of your quest which is like, you know, the whole point is you're trying to uh Well, that's that's a thematic uh that's a thematic choice, but it isn't really it doesn't it, it doesn't show in the gameplay. Like you, you don't get any penalty for augmenting yourself. No, no, but I mean like you know, it the, the point is the narrative. And so like being yeah, yeah. immersed in the idea is like, okay, well me taking on uh more Oh my god, if Cyberpunk punished you for augmenting or like that percent okay. chance of maybe being, they would uh, make an interesting game that, if they did. That, in, in the narrative, there's a percent chance of rejection. Like, what if you got oh. permanent negative effects at random yeah. when you continue and to like, augment yourself and you couldn't and get rid a, of them? Like, and you couldn't there are save multiple scum ripper them. docs. And so, like, what if you went to a ripper doc that wasn't as good and it they messed up the surgery? Like, oh. you have your trusted ripper doc, but there's other ripper docs. Like, there's some shady guy in the middle of nowhere that you can just go and talk to him. He's like, oh, give some mods. It's this like, is, see, this is why this genre could be so fun, is because you can, yeah, you can have fun thinking about these insane ideas and how you'd implement yeah, them. That's fair. There's a lot of thing. weird stuff, but uh, yeah, cyberpunk. Well, I mean, again, cyberpunk is cyberpunk, but uh, there, there, there's a lot of opportunity, and I think there's a lot of games that have taken advantage of this, but no one's put it together into one nice pie. Yeah. No, they have. It's just they don't. They haven't made it into a game. Well, <laughs> they, sure, it's they, called it's called D and D. I was thinking of Shadowrun because Shadowrun oh. does that. Like all we were talking about, it's all Shadowrun. It's the mixture of the penalties that you get for chroming yourself out. It's the 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 interaction between other people that have or don't have augments and all that sort of stuff. And then on top of that, it has all the magical and and uh, spiritual aspects of it. And it's 
it's narr- it's narratively designed to make you think about the economical impact of uh, uh, post post humanism and, uh, and and the sociological impact of all the different races. And it's like Shadowrun is an am- amazing setting, honestly, and uh, it has all of these. Even the games do that a little bit. I have to interrupt briefly because I'm fascinated by what I'm seeing right now. Because <laughs> I still have the cyberpunk video streaming. Uh, it's just kind of been going on in the background silently. And I've reached a point where Gold's nonviolent approach has manifested in him trying to bait the shotgun blasts of the enemy team into shooting the wall that's pointing towards his objective because they'll blow through the wall so he can crouch jump through it to finish the quest <laughs> and it's like seeing how this a really specific approach to gameplay could lead to like a completely different experience is kind of fascinating where i'm like i didn't even i didn't even know environment damage existed in this game yet yeah uh there's a i found that out by accident because uh <laughs> I, in one of the missions, I, my uh, your friend, like Jackie, uh, he kept disappearing. And I was like, where, where did he go? And I turned around. He was like, in this other room. I was like, how did you, Jackie, that room's locked. How did you get in there? Like, there's no way to get in that room. And I just watched him. And I, like, started backing up further and further. And he eventually, like, hopped over a table through a window. And I was like, you can just go through windows? And so I just went over and started punching windows and jumping through them. I was like, oh, you can just jump through a window okay that's a good good to know thanks like but it was so weird to like watch yeah to like i didn't think there's a bunch of glass everywhere i didn't think to just punch it and go through it like i don't know my brain was just like oh it's like it's on rails you can't don't break the environment trying to find those windows literal windows (laughs) to the narrative (laughs) it's it's a tremendous exploration and you can tell which windows aren't breakable because they have hexagons on them when shotgun god shoots a wall, he opens his window, figuratively and literally. <laughs> the uh, I'm curious though, uh, Gold, have you ever played uh, tabletop RPG? I've I've done a little bit, but um, like I played Dungeons and Dragons with a friend, maybe once or twice. But they were just kind of trying to introduce me to it. It wasn't an ongoing thing, and I played with my cousin too. But it didn't. They, it seems like something that you want to consistently do and continue your character sheet and kind of advance the story that way. And it honestly seems like very similar to uh, cinematic storytelling, like films and how a director might block out a scene and say, we know this about the characters. Where are they going to stand? What's important? How is this going to play out? So it seems, it seems really fun from that perspective but then it makes me more interested in the storytelling part and the visual part and it makes me think more about writing and telling stories with video then it it seems like a lot of bookkeeping (laughs) which is kind of it can be It's, it's interesting in that it is because it's like an entirely imaginary game that exists in your head it can literally be a different game from table to table like different groups of people fundamentally have a different gameplay experience. Like we had, the, we talked about the murder hobo, the murder hobo mid maxer people that are just number crunching and want to be the best at the game, which for me is like a misinterpretation of what the game was to begin with. Uh, but then you have like people where it's like it's practically like a strange, like improv comedy troupe <laughs> that is like there, just sort of parallels has, there too for sure. 
Yeah, like you have your group of people that just have they've decided that this character has this kind of personality and here's the scenario that they're in. And then you kind of just end up creating stuff from scratch. And it, that that stuff can be really fascinating. And like 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 there's there's the there's the aspect where it's just here is a problem and you get because it's not a video game, you get to pose a completely unexpected solution to the problem and then see if you can get away with it. But then there's also like just the your five people are just in a place and there's not much going on. And then they just kind of create situations by interacting because they either don't get along or get along too well, or they have like particular proclivities that, that like that can conflict with each other and just strange, bizarre nonsense. It does sound like, it sounds a lot like improv in a lot of ways. It, it also seems like it really anchors around the DM and their goals oh, yeah. of their storytelling. Like it seems oh, yeah. just like if you have, if somebody is really good at telling the story and painting out the opportunity for a good story to be told, then that would be a completely different experience with somebody who's just trying to play it by the books and is just following. You also, you also have to play with a DM. Like I've, I've had, um, well, it's because there's like I, different categories of players and DMs, and you have to hope they're the same category. Yeah, but the, there's a, there's also a reciprocity as well. Like some DMs will, uh, like for example, Effie, Effie is capable of pulling some great like reactive storytelling to things that I do, uh, to, <laughs> to weird things that I do. Uh, but at the same time, he's he's rigid in other aspects. And understanding that, in comparison to, for example, I've had a couple of one one-off sessions uh with um with another dm and uh she's just capable of building this this whole narrative out of nowhere that is that sticks with us just for a single session but at the same time he's capable of of building upon whatever we come up with and effie was much more of a here's a challenge whereas other other uh, dms can be a little bit more yes end you know what i mean a little bit more closer to the open-ended yeah, I think Effie was new. I don't know if he was new-ish to DMing or not, but he was uh, during our campaign. He was uh, using we were using a manual, so we were like we were using a dungeon module where it's like here is the story, and that's interesting because it's kind of uh, it can lead to that sp- that specific situation where it's like this is the main story and it will snap to that main story, and and you just have to like adhere to that. But then you can have divergences that keep stretching away, but then it kind of rubber bands back all the time. But even that depends on like the dungeon master themselves, I suppose. It's why I'm really intimidated by it and terrified of ever trying it. Uh, Dean, uh, being a dungeon master is because like you have to be like some of the best dungeon masters are just so reactive that they can just roll with whatever the hell was thrown at them because the players are not the characters written in the book, be it the uh, be it the plans the dungeon master had or the literal book that they bought that they're reading as a module to as a starting point but like you can completely just invent new things from scratch and that, that's where and it's interesting because that's just the that's like the final form of these ideas both the gold vision and andrew perspectives of just having like this violent narcissist that that thinks everyone exists for them and this person that <laughs> refuses to cause harm to anyone like uh video games are always built almost always built around a really specific play style being the way that you can play the game and it's about executing that uh, that play style as well as possible in many cases and there's usually not the even the implication of there being other options and then uh 
but D&D is like it can just be anything. Like it doesn't have to be about saving the world. It doesn't have to be about anything in particular. And so you can have people you can have both of those characters in the same party and see how they interact and how they survive or if they can even or if they even can survive in the same room for 10 minutes and just have that play out in a way that you could never really do unless you specifically became a game developer and made a game about that specific scenario. At the same time, I think it's also a very personal experience. There's uh, I didn't have this perception before before we played together, Keith and uh, and Effie and other, the others. But it's also like there, there's a lot of story that is only mine alone for my character, and I imagine it's for the same for every other character. Um, the more you let yourself engage with a game, with a tabletop game, the more you sort of create your own character in your head, and not necessarily just in the actions that you take, but like there's a, there's a lot of justifications that no one knows yeah yeah and the, and you can i i certainly got oh. a, a tremendous oh, i'm cake aware i'm aware yeah. of honey cakes <laughs> no, no no even even deeper than <laughs> your, character's the honey cakes. In, your character's internal justifications <laughs> caused my character an existential crisis <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you'll never just, know the rest i missed that campaign existed. that was nonsense <laughs> i don't think it was nonsense it was just eclectic it was great. No, but it was insane. <laughs> it was completely insane. Uh, baby, you got me all the wet. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was D&D. that. Yes. D&D is I think so I missed, much a, missed a lot of that. <laughs> D&D, D&D is so much work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's all the systems that are a lot better. Uh, what what uh, Gold is saying that... Especially in regards to the like, D and D is made for you to level up. Fate, uh, I think, fate, fate uh, system. I don't actually know what the full name is. It's just called Fate. There's also Fate. Uh, there's a, a smaller version of Fate. It's like I don't know what the names. I'm sorry, but there's a specific system called Fate that's a lot better for you. Just to have uh, no level ups, for example, making a whole campaign without leveling up. You just make the character from the beginning, and that's who you are. That's the ability, the tools that you have at your disposal. And then everything else is built based on storytelling. Uh, or it's good for one-offs, for example. Shadowrun is a little bit like that as well, because there's fewer levels, uh, at least in the 6th edition. Um, so it's not as... like Because in Dungeons & Dragons, you have like literally... The difference between level 1 and level 20 is, is it's tremendous. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but in Shadowrun, it isn't quite the same. Uh, and th- th- there's systems that are better for the for fighting that that uh, ever present knowledge that you can be so much more powerful if you invest in the campaign. You know what I mean? And at the same time, it allows you to take the bite away uh, when you lose a character, when you die, uh, or, or when something happens to your character, that, like going to prison or something. Um, there are systems that allow you to be okay with with that end for that story. You know what I mean? The narrative just keeps going and people jump back in with a different character. Yeah, yeah. Because my character... It's a little bit of an American that... horror story ensemble cast sort of experience where if you if you want to keep your friends around but they died, then they just make a brand new character from scratch, maybe with a different personality entirely, and then the dungeon master kind of comes up with how you encounter that character in the wild or, or why they're introduced to the party. And you try yeah. again. Makes sense. It's more of a yeah. It's more about the the collaborative storytelling experience than 
anything else really actually and that's that's a lot of the fun is just figuring that yeah, out that seems like it's the priority yeah i'm sure there's a there's a way to take it in a more postmodernistic perspective if for lack of a better term in 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 just try to make it less goal oriented and just make it about either deconstructing the experience of living in a made up world or something but i i think it's in a, in a, in a lot of aspects it's still tabletop is always going to be restricted to the you know making sure you are having fun and your companions are having fun oh yeah like i've heard of campaigns where people just reject the idea of going on an adventure and they all run a farm together and then the dungeon master just like all right let's 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 build this one out uh one of the benefits <laughs> of, bad reason rain, rain season yeah like he's <laughs> like let's think about the the strife and difficulties that a farm would have and like the neighbors how the neighbors would be and like what seasons are like like you can like you can run with that one of the benefit one of the benefits of D's pace is that like you have the session that can be anywhere from like two to six hours depending on the group style and whatnot but then the the dungeon master the poor dungeon master then has like a week or two to like think about what the hell just happened and actually think about like what could where this could go and like how to mechanically implement that like i and that can depending on the experience of the player that can like make or break the thing like we had a we had a campaign where we uh, delivered a dragon egg and then we immediately decided that we were going to pull a heist to steal the dragon egg after having gotten the reward. And the dungeon master was like, all right, uh, I think we're going to take a break for today and I'll see you guys next week when I figure out how to do any of that, <laughs> uh, which can be really funny. But uh, I'm, I'm scrolling through Gold Vision's YouTube channel. I'm getting that uh, the age uh the age paradox where you simultaneously feel like stuff is way too long ago and way too recent if you know what i mean you have like the, the parad- five games of christmas because like i watched uh i watched save points know the challenge before this and uh i was like what it's only four years ago he was firing guns he was shooting rockets and naming them after hypothetical firstborn children uh that's a trip a rocket that you fired named after your your soon to be born child that was a backwards <laughs> f <laughs> yeah and that's somehow that's somehow newer than the 25 days of christmas which like i specifically remember what year that was because it was like that was airing during the, the same the same christmas where like i I visited my brother at his new house and I was, and he, he was, he was trying my copy of Bloodborne and he couldn't get past the first slightly larger than normal enemy. And like, that was, I have such a specific wow. timeline for some of these video releases. Sure. It's just, but at the, but at the same time I look at them and the, their dates are like, yeah, this was an eternity ago. You're, you're going to be dead by tomorrow. Like we're, we're all aging and ancient already. <laughs> Because like the the Christmas <laughs> I mean, was five years ago, Planet Space Coffee was five years ago, which I can't accept as a reality. Uh, I'm I uh, I can't process time. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, we we literally made up a whole podcast about the last four years. So there's 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 forty years, and then there's forty years, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, there's, yeah. There's, there's like the like records. <laughs> There's like the weird experience of, yeah. I suppose, acknowledging that like 
the Trump presidency was four years and me being a full time YouTuber has been four years. And like that means that those I, those timelines line up almost. And I can't reconcile that in my head because they, they, that doesn't feel true ever. A lot of change <laughs> for that time. Well, yeah, I think that's the other thing, too, is uh, the, every time you blink, we've moved somehow five steps ahead. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, it's just because we keep, you know, like we're the, we're in a nice age where we are both interconnected, but also uh, haven't reached our top yet. And so we keep going forward and forward faster and faster because we have like, you know, all, all the time and all the resources. Uh, it's going to be real fun when we get like 10, 15 years later and we're like, oh, we bottomed out. Like we don't we've run out of resources. We've run out of leniency for bad mistakes. And now we've mm-hmm. got to like slowly, slowly try to survive as long as possible. <laughs> but the, uh, I'm not sure that we're not there any, uh, already, to be fair. Probably. Nah, I don't think so. But it's just uh, that a lo- there are some people that ha- are there and others that are not yet. And it, maybe we're not. And I'm, we're talking about this. I'm more interested in the aspect of like uh of of media in that way. Like I'm wondering uh how long until we bottom out on this idea that media has to be so big every time. So like every game has to be multi-million dollar budgets. Uh every game has to have X amount of features. Every game has to uh That's the, the Marvel it, problem. Yeah, like, and like this, I, this this series will dominate all of cinema, <laughs> but it will be the most expensive thing ever, which means it also has to like kind of be the same thing every time and kind of never rock the boat or do anything reckless or strange because that just re- that just risks what they're do- what they're accomplishing and what they're getting away with. Just like yeah. Ubisoft then. And yeah, and, like the and, AAA video games, like the most popular ones will often try almost nothing new in many cases and just kind of keep trying to keep no whatever money they've made yeah yeah well i mean consistency is good for investors because that is how you have a stable uh return but that, not not a I, stable return a stable growth well, because that's that's what investors want not just return well sure growth. but it gaming is hard i mean gaming is usually always growing unless you've failed in some way like you're always getting more consumers every not time for small companies though that's the thing triple a is is in that mode and i think that's why it's yeah. stagnant as well but for indie companies well, it's not like that well that's i mean you could say the same for most movies like why does every movie company just kind of release the same thing oh, yeah. with a different coat of paint is because i'm, I'm yeah. saying the same thing but, for movies as well yeah absolutely yeah, yeah I, every decade I, has its own movie trend like it's the, like here's the rom-coms yeah. and here's the disaster movies and then here's the superhero movies because but, the, the the problem the the trap everyone falls into is that like the mo the one of the best surefire ways to make a ton of money or at least the or at least if you look at results like one of the big the biggest breakthroughs are always like what feels like a fresh idea it, it's not always necessarily the first iteration of that idea but like the biggest games of all time for example are often like things that were completely different from the surrounding video games like you have like your among us or you have PUBG, or you have minecraft and so on where it's like they they tr- they set trends or dark souls and so on but if you're a massive company that has to always be making games and you're mandated to be immediately on schedule for the next thing you don't really like 
necessarily get to invent anything, so you just chase you the risks. existing things. So like Ubisoft's like, wow, we got a new IP, and what's it going to be? It's going to be Breath of the Wild, <laughs> because like that's <laughs> Ubisoft. Yeah, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, the Ubisoft's oh, like only the new play, IP right. is that that Phoenix Rising, I think, and it's like it's it's Breath of the oh. Wild. It's breath. It's much like Genshin Impact. It's like there's another there's another Breath of the Wild game. Did we see Phoenix Rising in the trailers, and I forgot about it already? Uh, I saw Game Grumps play it, I think, and then I oh. looked, and then I kept hearing reference to like the, the fact that it's like another Breath of the Wild like game, like Genshin Impact, but it's like, but it's also potentially one that misses why I liked those things in the first place, which is also a big part of like trend chasers in that way. Like, like what really bothered me is that like uh, going to Ubisoft again. They chased another trend, which is to have like you can play as any character and there's permanent death and stuff, but it's like kind of meaningless because they have the uh, the new Watch Dogs game and it mostly just makes the game really incoherent and confusing. And like every time you do a story mission and then you die and then you have to replay that story mission, you just do the exact same dialogue, but with a completely new human being and and everyone acts like you're not even a different person. And it's like, it's like, you're, it's like, you're just a well-known shapeshifter and nobody, nobody talks about it anymore. As opposed <laughs> to like, uh, state of decay was a game where you start with one protagonist character and then you recruit a series of different people and you're all trying to survive the zombie apocalypse together and mercilessly and abruptly you can just die. And then you have to like go take control of one of the, uh, characters that you have recruited so far and so you, you, essentially the people you've recruited are kind of like a series of they're, they're kind of like how many lives you have in the game but they can also fall victim to all sorts of other things because you actually have to, like a you have to like maintain and protect a, a headquarters that all those people are in and that's like it's a very interesting implementation of the idea of permadeath but also like the idea of like a population collectively trying to survive the apocalypse and there's similar stuff in like a uh, this war of mine is like you start off with like two people in a bombed out building in the middle of a war and you like you scavenge and you craft and you make and you have your own moral line of like what you're willing to do uh, in order to survive and, and like whether or not you're going to be like going to these bombed out low yield risky places that are da dangerous to you but nobody has to get hurt in the process and you're safe to just kind of scavenge what little can be found there but every time you check back there'll be less or do you literally like go looting and attacking people's currently lived in homes and so on and so forth and like in like like and it's like a it's a slow paced enough game that there's like maybe two chances in the entire playthrough to recruit entirely new characters to build up your roster from like two to like four and you can even in the expansion uh end up in the in the in uh with like a child in your custody uh but then like just like that like one of those characters can just die and the game just keeps going and you don't like they don't respawn and you don't retry the mission it's just that character's gone and now you have to figure out what that means for the survivors and both like how when they deal with the fallout of losing that person and also deal with like mechanically how am i going to keep this all together when there used to be a whole extra person doing it it's kind of like uh, goes back to the idea of like how well like me mechanics mean things narratively beyond just how they affect your ch chances to win and the these assumptions of like whether or not violence is the default and whether or not death is the default or and so on 
can completely recontextualize how you build your entire experience and you can you can you can follow these ideas to their conclusion and get entire new genres out of it and really cool experiences and it's why it's it's always frustrating to watch AAA just kind of chase its tail forever and whenever they do use an idea like when watchdogs had the play any person and they li- and they can die and so on it's like it did in no way approached what was interesting about state of decay or this war of mine and instead just kind of it just kind of wore that skin as like a mechanic and didn't explore what it means or what it could do i don't know it's it's, it's why it's, it's definitely why we, it's why we all pretty much just exclusively play indie games i guess <laughs> yeah it's definitely a very difficult thing to even approach from a narrative standpoint how do you make the player because uh, the thing is if you're going to make it a part of gameplay it can be an unintended consequence for sure but and you can, you know, like Pyre, for example, where the loss of characters, either through death or through um, choices or wins or losses, uh, that that results in narrative consequences. But how should I put this? Imagine, like, whenever, whenever we're making a game, whenever we're playing a game, rather, and certainly in, in role-playing games, we we are on the hero's journey. We're ta- We're telling the story of somebody who went to to the underworld and and uh saved the, saved the the uh the world or or got the macguffin and it's a story of victory and maybe there's sacrifice in the middle and and that but it's all for for a goal but there's also the other side of just typical traditional human storytelling of the the story of a tragedy and we not only don't we get many tragedies in video games at least not for the protagonist but also how do you especially how do you make that for the for, uh, how do you make the player want to tell a tragedy? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, we found or to we, comply we, with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, well, Not even to comply, just to get from the pleasure out of financial struggle of Pathologic Two that you kind of can't. It's not. I think you. It, it's not. Uh, I think financially uh, rewarded. Oh yeah, no, no. But oh, do you think? Do you think the? Do you think Pathologic is a tragedy? Oh yeah, it is in yeah, it is in a in yeah. most ways. But I'm not saying that. It, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that in like such a classical bad. way. I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, no, I mean more in the sense that uh, Breaking Bad is a tragedy. You know yeah. what I mean? But how do you make the player want to create a set of want even to play um, Walter White and make it so that the tragedy happens? What, how are you? How are you going to? Well, we found from the last of us that that, that uh, people like, don't. The do audience that. does yeah, not react right. well to the idea. Yeah. that the flawed protagonist should be any way punished for any of their actions at any point. Uh, Let alone the, making the choice to to have them punished. Yeah, forcing the player to make the choice. Although I guess maybe media, what, maybe film media is not even that different because like I, on some level they might finish stuff out of obligation because they. They like the characters and uh, it's passive. So you can just kind of just sit there and just watch the whole thing. Whereas a game you have to push through and constantly choose to proceed forward. But like, yeah, I think there's a big difference there. Oh, yeah. But like even in even in Breaking Bad, I don't think people necessarily got uh, like in mass. A lot of people didn't really get the right idea of who they were supposed to be rooting for or who was the. Or who was the person that needed that should have been punished and so on? Because like, there's a whole lot of like 
yeah, Walter White did nothing wrong and Skylar White is a horrible person, like rhetoric that goes around that is like, okay, yeah. this is you're definitely not <laughs> engaging with this the way that the author was hoping because it's pretty, and, they, and, they, they, yeah. don't, they don't pull punches. And The Last of Us 1 and 2 both have the same problem as well. Yeah, where like the Joel is judged continuously by those games, but then the audience seems to never consistently agree with that idea. And, and like, Ellie oh, as well. Okay. And, what? and Ellie in the second game. Ellie in the second Ellie, game. Yeah. She, she, yeah. yeah. No, that's I a think... that's that's an entire franchise that's essentially about the protagonists making poor choices and being kind of awful human beings, and then the audience being like, "But they're the video game protagonists. That means they're good." And to be fair, video game players have been conditioned for decades <clears throat> to just not think about being mass murderers. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, that's definitely the yeah, that's definitely Mass Effects. That, that's what I was, I was desensitization. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, like I, the like thing I, is, like people think, do not like yeah, it. Yeah. People do not like it when I kill characters, and then I'm like, well, he was what? He's probably like 35. So he had, he probably like grew up with a family and like had some ambitions <laughs> at life, and then those ambitions didn't pan out, and then he fell into the, this, this particular path, and like. Like there's like a whole history there. Like every, like I think about that at random intervals during both shows and games and so on. I'm just like, all right, that was a person. I'm a person. I just killed a person. How is and like does the narrative of the particular thing I'm playing support that or like does it scan? Like Joel, I understand why he does those things because Joel is just kind of a terrible human being, and he's been a terrible human being for like decades and that's like the narrative of that thing and you see why he does that you can empathize with why he does that but that doesn't mean that the things he does are good suddenly but there's a lot of video games where it's like ha 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 i'm happy fun go happy go lucky nathan drake and i crack jokes and i wink at girls and i just murdered 75 brown people to get an achievement and it's like uh i can't i don't know if i can i don't know if i can support this this dissonance here and be like wow what a what a charming fella he is. It's like, I got the achievement for 100 AK-47 kills on the way to this ruin that I'm robbing because I feel entitled to rob it. It's like, I... Uh. <laughs> but that, I think I think that's why tragedies, in a way, tell more than the, the hero's journey can ever tell. Because when you tell the story of Nathan Drake from the perspective of a hero, uh, you still allow the player to to be critical of, of Nathan Drake. I, I've never played any Uncharted game, so I'm, I'm just riffing off of what you're saying. Uh, but it's th- like, you still allow the player to be like, okay, I'm literally playing a flawed uh, hero here. And maybe maybe that's that's portrayed to some extent, but maybe not to all extent, maybe not to every occasion. Maybe some some framing here and there is bad uh, or or bad in, in just from a outside of the game perspective rather than necessarily in the game. But when, you, when you're telling the... the the story of a when you when you're writing Breaking Bad when you're saying some when you're writing the fall of a character you're necessarily imprinting the criticism in, into the into the the storytelling. There's no way to engage unless you're just ignoring parts of of the narrative. There's no way to engage with it without understanding that the writer is saying is saying this is bad. You know what I mean? It's like Count of Monte Cristo. Like that's that book for me. I haven't read it in a long, long, long time, but I remember it being. Also, very much about that. Like, I cannot avoid. Uh, 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 I can't. I just can't avoid understanding what the the author. I don't 
remember who the author was, <laughs> but I can avoid understanding what the author wants to tell with the story. Where in a traditional hero's journey, it's a lot easier for, for you just to have whatever interpretation you want to have. Yeah, I, I think that's... I think that... Uh, I mean, that's the that's the constant battle that all these games have is to tell a meaningful narrative. I'm glad that they are trying more and more because all oh, yeah. our traditional games are more just hack and slash, just <laughs> watching orbs move from one side of the screen to the other one. And then there's a, uh, a woman or a president you're supposed to protect. But um, they're, they're all figuring it out, it seems. It, it seems like telling a story in a video game is this just evolving art form and it it really is this opportunity to explore a lot of different emotions and a lot of different characters and the player i i only recently felt like when i was watching something that a good metaphor was that i'm the quiet friend when i'm watching something and you're just you're there in the room with the people who respect you and expect nothing from you you're just kind of a child who can witness this conflict scene to scene and you're you're present but you're not participating and then the video game is this maturation where now you're just a a young person and you're capable of moving into the world and accepting the responsibility of these conflicts and it's not just the the words and the characters and what they say but it's the actions that make up the majority of the narrative and that freedom to explore a hero's journey or to just wander in the world is Kind of, it's intertwined with the actual life of the actual person who's playing the game and mm -hmm. the things that that person wants to do. Because we have also hit a point that there are, there's more game hours right now than there is time. There's, there's more games <laughs> out there. It, it yes. wasn't always that way. You know, yeah. you got no, Mario yeah, 64 and you're like, my I'm going to play it again. Cause <laughs> I just, I have this and my mom's not going to buy me every game for the Nintendo. So my spreadsheets to, weep. Uh, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just keeps getting longer. And so now the, it's kind of a, a joy that we get to choose which stories we want to be part of instead of just being yeah. subject to the three games that came out this year that are worth playing that are long enough yeah. that they'll take up our free time. And so it's this great we opportunity to, to tell these stories, but we have to find the ones that are trying to advance the narrative and not trying to just spread out the art over, <laughs> over as long a period of time as possible through drops and just the slow incremental growth from bronze to silver to gold armor. Yeah, absolutely. That's sort of the power of YouTube sometimes too. And, and content creators is just being able to signal boost certain things that are out there because it's hard because <laughs> pe people might actually think like, you know what? I don't want to be a mass murderer open world boy today. I want to be a cyberpunk bartender, but they have to know that that's a game. <laughs> like somebody <laughs> has to like that has to reach them. And that's the hard thing, both because the more interesting stuff is often much more granular and low budget and, niche and harder to distribute but also the uh there's just once again yeah, yeah there's such a boom of games which enabled those niche games to exist that they're all lost in the noise constantly and it's a it's a quiet yeah. experience just trying to get to them at all and I, don't, I don't think it maybe maybe years ago i would have felt more of an obligation for things to either be completely blown up and mainstream and number one and charting 
But now it seems like it's more about just kind of spreading things, like you say, signal boosting, just kind of getting it out to a couple more people and amplifying the noise that you want to hear, <laughs> if that makes sense, to kind of just I make agree. the yeah, signals yeah. of the, just po- like even games that you love that are too long, highlighting the parts of the game that are good because, you know, next year a bunch of games come out and three years from now a bunch of games are going to come out and they're just starting the games that are going to come out three years from now. And so they're going to listen, the developers and the storytellers and the producers are going to listen to the voices that they see out there. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people who are on the major social media sites of YouTube and Twitch are younger skewing and they're just very um, able to be influenced. And then their opinions often reflect the things that already exist rather than new things or potential things. And so then we end up seeing more of the same because investors are looking to increase the next version to match what the previous version was. And they saw that certain things worked in the battle Royale format or whatever. And then the next version has to come out and kind of reflect that. And so I think that at the same time, that generation of people who is growing up on YouTube and Twitch, they're going to mature. And then they're going to start looking for those deviations, those new ideas. And I think that they just need to have the words to express. And I think that it's kind of up to content creators to express those words for them so they can understand and clarify the thoughts and then get more of a like singular thought that can be trumpeted loud enough that developers and the studios that produce games will hear and make it. Cause they just, they want to make big titles that, get a lot of numbers. I, I don't know if you saw Cyberpunk tweeted out a million concurrent players on Steam. Like that was <laughs> That's just tr- the truth. They achieved yeah. that. And that was an aspiration. And maybe it takes seven years of hype <laughs> to achieve something like that during a time when not a lot of games are also coming out at the same time. But they're all, they have those revenues now and they're going to continue making things and continue evolving our whole gaming ecosystem. And so they're going to listen to the things that people say. And then if we're amplifying the right stuff or at least the stuff we like, we're going to see more of it. That's oh, yeah. a theory, at least. I can't, I can't promise that's, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely why I started to might... Oh, go ahead. Oh, just go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to buttress it because that's definitely how I started, why I started my YouTube channel. Because RPGs are very difficult to do Let's Plays of. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, Why sorry, Keith, I don't want to keep off you. You, <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen it coming. Let's, uh, you were gonna, you were gonna say I, something. I was just thinking that, like, the, yeah, like stuff. It's, it's. Uh, did I lose my thread a little bit there? I was definitely shocked when we never got like a cynical AAA Undertale like, <laughs> like cynically produced. Like, oh wow, it's a turn-based retro style Earthbound like where you can't, where you don't have to mm. kill people. Uh, <laughs> that would have hurt my brain. Uh, but no, yeah, there's a, that's interesting. Th- 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 I mean, arguably, th- Mother already exists. Yeah, <laughs> like th- there's always the hyper mainstream just plays what's popular and let's let's open loot boxes in the in and in, in, in <laughs> like let's let's inflict gambling practices on young audience members and then try to get them to buy our merch which is which itself has a time limit for when you can buy it so that you have a fomo reaction and have to get it immediately and that surpasses your ability to question whether you actually want it or not 
like there's always there's always this exploitative taint nature towards the next generation and so on but there's also like there's some there's some channels that do a really good job of just showcasing what's possible out there and letting people question what even is out there because like because I, 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 there's always the frustrating people i get on like disco elysium or certain other playthroughs where people are like is this even a real video game or like this is just talking or like these like there are people who are going to have this frustrating recoil against something that's different because they don't they're not ready to question it and they'll take like a few bouncing offs to finally engage with the idea but like i was there like i i remember like i played diablo 2 when i was like 12 and it was like the most addictive thing in the world and then i bought a copy of uh temple of elemental evil which is my first crpg purchase and then i think i I probably pirated a copy of fallout one or something because like fallout three was so fun and wow what a crazy new experience and then i in both cases i like i was like this isn't it looks like diablo but doesn't play like diablo how do you it's like i can't even figure out how to move like how do you play this like i I could i couldn't even process the idea the idea of a crpg as a teenager uh and like this if you're we have such a specific series of verbs that we build up while playing video games and like there's like you can learn some of this from watching like playthroughs of that are like gaming for non-gamers like let's watch this person that has never played video games try to play goldeneye or whatever and see like all of the assumptions that they make based on not knowing how to play the game or like all the things that the game just assumes that they would know based on the idea that they already play games and that are never explained by the game or are unintuitive and that the, they fundamentally wouldn't figure out or like watching somebody try to play portal where they only realized to how to move with WASD, but they never realized to look around with the mouse and like those kinds of experiences. Like that's how we as like game babies, like experience new genres is like we miss we misinterpret them and we're often frustrated by that idea and then just move on and so it's it's a it's like the constant media exposure or like having channels that can express these ideas in interesting ways is like a lot of how this stuff can become acceptable to people and like so i've I've have my like i don't even know like 500 700 episode let's try series where i'm just trying to like throw new games at people and there's a like Mandalore gaming likes to get into like Eurojank and strangeness and like errant signal will try to extract the art from the game and try to really interrogate what it means and what it's expressing beyond just it being a, a game where you just progress and win. And uh, was it super bunny hop does his work with like, there's a usually an annual episode that's called games for my inbox, which is just like, Hey, here's some games that were in my inbox that people emailed me about that I had never heard of before. So I'm just going to cover them by default because I don't know what they are. And like those opportunities lead to the chance for much more interesting games that don't have a foothold in the industry to suddenly be put forth before new people. And there's like this sort of like, aspect of like what's it called uh was it velvet underground there's a band that has a famous phrase where people always say like no one no one bought a copy of like velvet underground or whatever band it was but everyone who did started a band like there's this aspect of indie development where even if the games aren't massively successful if they reach the right people there's the knock-on effect of them inspiring the next generation of game developers to then explore those ideas even further instead of just making assassin's creed and like awakening the right people to what games are capable of, which is virtually anything like just at any, you can just put anything in one. Uh, 
suddenly changes the assumptions of what games are and then suddenly we get wildly different strange things like i'm just scrolling through my let's try list and seeing like i'm like like, i see niche a game where you make animals and they crossbreed on a hex across the continent and every time they move they then keep morphing into a different hybrid version of the previous one with different traits that changes their survival chances or like sludge life was this most bizarre first person graffiti vibing simulator <laughs> like cloud punk the one where you play as a like a you're, you're essentially like an amazon delivery person in a cyberpunk I, world tried, and and your dog is in your computer <laughs> yeah like you yeah. Your poor dog, who is an AI, and you you need an AI to run your your ship. So you put your dog in there, and he has low RAM, so he gets tired a lot. And it's like a sad dog. It's like <laughs> oh, and it's like inter- and like you can, yeah, you have games interrogating capitalism and interrogating democracy and interrogating the ways that we fundamentally organize society. And like it's like oh, you suddenly were like oh, this is right, right. Games are art, and here's they, how, here's what they can do with that. Big. They're big, and we're. I feel like we're still in like the black and white cinema era of video games. What I think we're kind of progress I, I that we're going to be capable of. Yeah, I I think we're entering a new era on two fronts, majorly because of one, the popularity of streaming, specifically not just YouTube, but specifically streaming is going to shape um, development of video games in a way that I don't think we can foresee right now. Uh, maybe we can have ideas and hypotheses, but we, uh, this next decade is 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 going to be. I think we are seeing now the beginning of of Twitch as a as a mainstream platform in the way that YouTube started being a mainstream platform ten years ago. And on the other hand, as well, because of the just the economical situation of the world and uh, the 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 fact that so many people are used to playing games on mobile, there's less and less of a need for games to just look good. And so there's, there's, I mean, we have the success of Among Us and Fort, uh, and uh, not Fortnite specifically, but the, what's that other one? The Fall Guys. Those two games in, in a short period of time, just achieving enormous numbers. And they don't look particularly, I mean, they look good, but it's just not, you know. It's Minecraft not, too. Minecraft my, generation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. But like, it's, I think we're, I think from now on, just people can't afford the new graphics cards. They can't have a 4K monitor. <laughs> the, the monitor alone is the price of a console. It's like, Bitcoin what? Bitcoin existing. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's. I think we're the ne- the next few years we're gonna see things that we haven't seen before and or we haven't seen very often. I Looking think, back, I, I I think there are certain games that definitely stick to my mind as being outliers. Uh, uh, like Battle uh, Chef Brigade, the competitive RPG cooking game. <laughs> yeah, it. I played it. It was pretty fun. Awesome. I love uh, the words you can just merge together in these cases. Yeah. It it is really a it is a battle chef RPG but puzzle game too. Uh, it's it's really interesting. I actually do recommend Battle Chef Brigade. It's fun. Yeah, or like um, Ober, Return of the Obergen, the nonlinear oh, yeah. time travel detective game. Yeah, Dude, I, video games are fascinating when they try. Like I, fuck, ah, Pyre is I think a, the... it's a rugby <laughs> visual novel. <laughs> I, I feel yep. like the the future is go- uh, future's definitely going to be more service games. I, I think there's been a really That's good the dark side, yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot to, there's been way too much success in games like Fortnite or Fall Guys or Which means a lot of the most uh, popular GTA games this Online. decade won't be uh, won't exist the next decade. 
Yeah, the, I think the idea is that, like, why are you going to invest years, especially Cyberpunk is such a good example, why are you going to invest decades of development to make this game just to get dunked on? When you could have, like, GTA Five <laughs> or... There's still children playing GTA Five. They couldn't make fun. GTA Five. I'm pretty yeah, sure but, they couldn't. <laughs> but that's the thing, is, like, GTA Five already exists. Why make another one? Just add new stuff to sure. GTA Five. I think... Like, just keep doing it forever. Fall I, Guys is so like cartoonish you could just keep making stuff for that for the next hundred years and no one's gonna be like oh where's the where's the new graphics like it fall guys doesn't get better looking it stays the consistent like Fortnite's the same way it stays consistent in its art style if you can find a nice niche art style and make a games as a service you can probably just succeed forever as long as you're continually making content that's enough to keep people coming back i don't know that they can remember Fortnite's MMOs? still going. Fortnite's still like they they literally don't even like you can watch a concert. No, yeah, in Fortnite. but like that World of Warcraft, <laughs> World of Warcraft was also go- it's also still going right now. Yeah, like we had EverQuest is still going. Yeah, EverQuest <laughs> yeah. is still there. Like RuneScape came back. It had to come back because people wanted <laughs> uh, it. Like that's yeah. like the thing is is like you if the, the idea of a place you go and spend all day and that's like your when I clock out of work I clock into X game. That's what people want to do. They don't, like, like most people don't want to like bounce from game to game to game to game because it's expensive and it's time consuming and it can be frustrating because you're you're gambling every time you buy a game. You're like, well, God, I hope this was worth sixty dollars, and you put it in. You're like, well, I wish I was better at gambling because it never is worth sixty dollars. This, this is one of and, the many many reasons I refuse to open loot boxes and Overwatch is because. I want to know that I'm choosing to play it because I actually just want to play the game that day. <laughs> and like, I, yeah, I have like what? 600 loot boxes and I've never opened a single one. The only skins I have unlocked are the ones you unlock automatically via events that you can't avoid, basically. But I've never used any of them. And I, and what's just, funny to I me, just play the game on a pure mechanical level. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I just want to keep playing this game. <laughs> just be, And it's yeah, I'm not making there's no experience meters that do I'm anything. I'm on the opposite side. Like I'm, I'm, not, the, I'm I I stopped playing the game even though I opened loot boxes. So I'm, now I know and, I don't want to play it. And I'm the 100 opposite <laughs> side where I open loot boxes, but I don't care. I have zero <laughs> care what's inside of the loot boxes. I don't care about the skins. I don't care about the. I don't stuff. really I, like, I don't, know what the loot box opening screen looks like. It, it, it's it's a, it's a flashy. It's a box. It's not. You press not open good. box, and then four things appear, and that's it. And then you they press pop open box out. Again. It's like flashy, and there's a noise. I don't like it. Yeah, I, like I don't know. It's really, but like, yeah, I open boxes in 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 Overwatch, but I don't buy them, and I don't I go think... out of my way to like care what's in them. Like, I click them to get the number off the screen, but like the contents of them don't change my enjoyment of the game. I have, I already have the skins I want from every character, and so any new skins that come out are like, oh, I must have that. It's like, oh, that's a cool skin, and I just move on with my life and just keep playing the game, which is why I'm there is to play the game. I think you're you're uh, you're having a little bit of narrow vision in regards to like yeah the the vast majority of time we might be playing comfort games in a way uh and and looking back at my own gameplay experience that's definitely the case like I spend a lot I I I spent a lo- long many hours playing Counter-Strike playing um The Sims playing Games that I know well that are not necessarily very engaging in the sense of, of um, or Diablo 2, for example, in the sense of like, it's something new. It's something that I know and I go back to play it because I like it. But that doesn't mean, th- those are not necessarily the games that stand out for me. 
the, the games, the, the, some of my favorite games I've only played once and I never went back to them again. And and they're, and I'm sure, and like I'm playing right now Knights of the Old Republic 2. I'm having a blast. I only played it twice. I finished it twice back like 15 years ago and I'm having a blast right now and I haven't gone back to it in 15 oh, yeah. years. And that's and part of the experience of running into my favorite like games. this is like the opportunity to like actually dive back on like those iconic games that are just built up in your head and figuring out if you still like them and all that. Yeah, yeah, I have so many games that I played briefly as a child and never again, like Jet Force Gemini and Perfect Dark and uh, Symphony of the Night and even Bastion. Not 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 a kid, but Bastion. I only played the day it came out. Uh, and like, there's so many iterations of that idea, but like the fact that they're burned into my brain so much time later kind of just screams like how singular and interesting and different those games were and how kind of frustrating things can be that's why that's why last episode i, I was like this is a threat when the, when the trailer <laughs> came up for perfect dark having a sequel again and i'm like no i i don't trust you because this is modern triple a and it's they're going to take something that's singular and interesting and different in my head and make it probably incredibly normal and rote yeah and that's like the opposite of what i want from iconic <laughs> strange different things that i remember yeah, you need, like AAA just and and like big incentive for profit ruins games effectively. And sometimes there's games that come out that are nice. Like just imagine even like Ubisoft re, like making the sequel to like or re or reboot or remake of Mischief Makers. <laughs> the one about the I would rather not play that. Because <laughs> shake shake. Shake shake. It's like imagine a modern AAA company trying to make a version of that that they think is what it needs to be to sell in mo the modern world is just uh, it's shake just, open it's, loot boxes. The very thought is a threat. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's like when fuck. Uh, it's like when uh, when Robot Chicken's parody episode was like, "We're making Dark Crystal two, and it's like it's gonna have rapping in it." <laughs> It's like I, it's it's it hurts because it's what might actually happen. It's the it's the fear. It's, yeah, the I, thing is, like it's the objective of making profit and have in selling. It, like obviously, people want to earn money and and ha be successful in what they do. But I think when that comes at the expense of the objective of making something good, that's the problem. Because the objective of making something good has to be there. It, it can't be it can't be ignored and they ignore that uh, a lot <laughs> they just is it gonna sell well then it's good they equa equate the, the yeah profit and, to and indie companies it's a lot about hype management yeah it's a lot about hype management and kind of building that product to be sold and i i feel like the audience is kind of um culpable in the same oh, way how 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 long is it going to take for us to get burnt out on hype and then just kind of focus on I don't think the it, quality of the game. I don't game. think it's ever going to happen. I, I oh. want to believe that as gamers, we, we can figure out a way to kind of rise above just getting needlessly excited about There's always going to be new kids down. being born. We, I think that collectively, <laughs> we, I think as a collective, we will never progress past that. Yeah. Nah, but everyone yeah. has their own individual story of maturing oh, yeah, and yeah. learning about themselves and what they want in a more interesting way than just chasing what everyone's talking about all the time it is impressive to see the hype for cyberpunk when mm -hmm. less than a decade ago like less than five years ago what no man's sky came out no that, one of these happens every yeah. year if not more but, than once a year a, 
But that's the thing is like that one, I remember it being such a huge chaotic storm about disappointment and no oh, like yeah. having too much expectation and literally we made a podcast about why it was and- going to be bad <laughs> before it came out before it came out yeah and yeah. even in that podcast like a week before its release people were arguing with me because i dared say i don't think it's even going to have multiplayer <laughs> the yeah, thing is which like, it didn't yeah yeah it didn't but, yeah, then, yeah. I, yeah. but then like cyberpunk comes out and people are like i'm so shocked why is it not good and it's like i well what did you expect this is the, but andrew this, the, the the formula is already written in stone. If but we hype saw that is bigger than the if like if hype is bigger than the release date of Star the game, Citizen. then the game will be bad. Like there is no <laughs> there's no like if ands or buts about it. You can't make a good game with a lot of hype and release it and everybody loves it. That's just not how it ever works. No, like, I I'm sure I can come up with a game that has that that has <laughs> that has been good the, and hype. The more hype there is for a game, the less good the game will be. That's just how that math works out. It probably was Witcher mm. 3, actually. Witcher 3 is a good example, that might I think. Have, that might be one of the better received hype games ever. Because, yeah, there's such a backlash over and over again. Uh, because, it, partly because people always have this idea, their own ideas of what it even was going to be. But also because they always promise too much. And then the games are always, at the end of the day, largely iterative. So at yeah. best, it's like the thing you played before, but a little different. And people keep, ex- yeah. but they're sold a new experience, which it was yeah, never going to think, be. And I think, like from a you know from a high chair philosophy perspective, because I'm just a dumb baby and I don't know shit, is I think, I think there's something about like art isn't art isn't good when it's done for the betterment of uh, of profit rather than for like the will to create. I yeah. don't think there needs to be. I don't think like I, it's not like something sweet, as soulless. The sweet as, like, spots when people solve the the impossibility of like when they manage to make something that they genuinely wanted to make and then it sells. Yeah, like uh, like I yeah. always think about like Cuphead, like City Skylines good, or something. Cuphead's a Undertale. good example of someone trying yeah. to make something to survive. Like they're not making this with the intention of like, oh, it's going to be in a museum one day and people will like it fifty years like fifty years from now. They're making it to survive. But there's enough creativity and passion behind it that it that the it, the finalized product is worth the uh, you know is like is better or is more or is bigger than the presumed financial success the people making it expected. Whereas I think AAA games are like inversed, where every game is made with the expectation they're going to make double the amount they invested back into it, and like that never goes well in any way because either you get a product that is like yeah like it's just very derivative and okay well it's new and it's shiny but is it good or you get complete and utter flops and people just go like yeah well you know it, it, it don't make that again it's like well no you can make that just don't don't make it that yeah. way art uh, is all healthier in a, when it's made in fewer with uh, in a lower consequence environment well, that yeah, that too. Where you can get away with experimenting and making something strange and hoping it works out, but also it's not going to be the end of the world. And that's the problem. That's the tough thing. You basically because it, it leads to an overwhelming number, especially like in early indie games and whatnot. There was an overwhelming amount of like this is the perspective of a well-to-do, uh, like financially secure white man, because that was the type of person that could take the gamble to make their dream project and make their 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 special thing and not have to worry about it ending their life if it didn't work out 
and then Braid happened. Yeah, that's that, that was the game I was thinking of. <laughs> there was, yeah, I figured it was. It was 100% Braid as Jonathan Blow. Yeah. Uh, who, the, I've never regretted following an indie developer on Twitter more than Jonathan Blow. <laughs> uh, oh, I see. It didn't follow all Minecraft then. Oh, no. I, yeah, I guess I did watch Notch also on, okay, at, at some point. <laughs> yeah, he's there disappointing people. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel, but he was also... I feel bad. Yeah. So bad uh, people use Twitter in that way. Like, uh, I I use Twitter to just follow artists, and I never get disappointed because they post art. I'm like, thanks, that's exactly what I wanted from you. Game developers never... are artists. Well, yeah, but they're and also. The game, no, he means, and, but, he means it takes big... them. A, yeah, I know, but it takes a long time <laughs> yeah. for the next game to come out. But they recommend well, things, big, and man. Jonathan Blow recommends great games. I just wish he didn't also tweet. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is like, yeah, I I follow yeah. accounts that specifically only just post the one thing and move on. So it's like, well, I don't have art, so I won't say anything. It's like, good, keep doing that. Don't say anything. Just only post. <laughs> but <laughs> I I don't know. That's. It's weird. Uh, it's weird having that front, like that front window access to people's lives and thoughts. Granted, they're giving it to you publicly. Like they're openly standing on a mic, like on a soapbox with a microphone, shouting yeah. "Void." That's with the those stuff bad they opinions. choose to say out loud. But, yeah, but like it is weird that you could just knock on a door. You know, you could just walk over to someone's Twitter and go like, "Hey, I liked your game. What are you not gonna be following this anymore?" Okay, bye, goodbye. Like, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, That's, it's so weird that you can like do a you can go a complete 180 on a on a person within a matter of minutes and that person is tied to art and that art could give you feelings of yeah. positivity and then you like, I just like the way they draw dogs but now they're putting names in double parentheses and I don't want to see where this goes. Yeah, That's something like that, that's something that I've grown um I think the, the, I'm sorry. That's something that has made me grow as a person in the last few years. I think uh, my engagement with art has been very, uh, very much much shaped as well by understanding the people and relating to the people that make art, especially in the video game arena, uh, with newer games specifically. It's not, it's not that I can't detach the the games from the people who make it. Is that I think it makes it better when you know. It's like, so it's like the that parasocial relationship of feeling like you're not it's not like feeling like you're friends with the developers but at the same time it sort of is it's like when you're playing your friend's game but you know it, you know you're not their friends but you know them a little uh, bit and you I, can relate to it saying. yeah it's like reading a book and then knowing the author and seeing their yeah. picture and then thinking about them as they're writing the story to you oh yeah like it, it's way weirder thing, to... except you see a team of people who are going to yeah. go on to make other games and they're going they're part of the conversation too and you actually you're not just reading what they're saying or seeing what they post but you're interacting with it and the things that you like of what they've done or the even any messages you send them to kind of influence them slightly Absolutely. in whatever direction they're going to yeah. go and the next thing that they work on or the next thing they draw it's Plus. it's happened to me uh for example uh, the, uh sunless seas uh, what's the team that behind sunless seas i don't remember the name of the of the studio they made sunless skies as well uh, and follow and i played sunless seas before i followed them on twitter and i played sunless skies after i followed them on twitter and and my experience of the game i feel that retro retroactively sunless seas is basically sunless skies it's the same you've got that sort investment of like, aspect 
No, but also I, the understanding yeah. from what the, they're trying to say, you know, it's uh, yeah, it just enriches. I, the, I just think about like it's it's way weirder. It's way it's it's very different for me to like read a Harlan Ellison book or a Margaret Atwood book versus like a Lindsay Ellis book or a John or Hank Green book where it's like, yeah, <laughs> oh, these are the people I've have been a part of my online viewing experience for like a decade each. And so it's fundamentally different to read a book that's like by them. Uh, and to some extent, I think that's the toxic. That's, that's where some of the toxicity comes from with fandoms, especially for things that aren't even out yet, is that if you go like you get those reddits for these things like there would be like a cyberpunk reddit for years before the game even comes out and it's just a little fan community obsessing over this thing and every single new detail and tweet and thing that or interview or facial expression made during a vlog <laughs> and so on is like is like interrogated for every aspect it can and people feel more and more invested in like they're promised something and they feel more and more like they are owed something and they also feel closer to the company which means makes them lash out in defense of them whenever anything comes even though the company will never love them back and doesn't know they exist and all that that because they they because the tools are there if you just click the right button you can be like getting served up investment media about this particular thing for years and years and like entire youtube channels go from not making a living like not existing to making a channel to literally making a living off of making content on that channel when they're still just talking about a game that's not out yet and they'll be like a dedicated fan channel because yeah. they're just feeding off of that wave and like the intensity and the power of all that but like that is so that's that's too much it's too much and it's all and it's, it's a, a, it's a lot of it's for the wrong reasons yeah oh yeah it probably I, I, it probably comes off very yeah very negative but like i don't don't care i don't care what uh what will come of a game i care about what is when the game is there if you know i could read a million articles about how cool x game's gonna be and what the promises and what the expectations and what the but at the end of the day like until it's in my hands and i or until it's out in the wild and someone could like show me what it looks like there's no uh there's no guarantee and gaming much like any creative thing is something that changes so wildly over time. Like you can, uh, like animation is such a good example of this where you can see, uh, like, you know, you watch Disney movies and you'll see how much has changed in just like, you know, five minutes. Someone could go, wow, this is, this is the story I built. And someone comes and goes, yeah, but that doesn't make sense. And then the whole rest of the story has changed because of that. And that's okay. That's normal. That's how things do. But that doesn't translate well to like people who've built up or who've uh, who are now living in these fake cardboard castles they built out of this hype uh, or expectations or beliefs. And then you come in and you have to like douse it with water so it crumples over them and they like like they actually endure <laughs> the reality. They just of like yeah this this fake world yeah. you built for yourself isn't yeah. real like this 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 game you think is coming isn't ever gonna be here and never existed this is the just like is, a a commercial bubble that you everybody found yourself takes in. time to get there though like you are immune to hype and i think i'm immune to hype um that's what i was saying before I, about our, how like collectively we won't probably ever be past it but everyone has like their individual story yeah, there's only gonna, always going to be new kids. But I'm not immune to hype. I just get hype in the moment. Like I don't, I don't have. Well, that's not hype. That's liking things. Yeah. No, that's that's hype. I I get, that's like I an get, emotional wave. 
Yeah, but like, <laughs> I think I, this, like anticipation. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's the thing is like I can get really I can get excited for what's coming. Like I know something's coming. I get excited. I get hyped for it. But it's usually something that's like tangible. Like oh, there's gonna be a I'm watching a show. And there's gonna be a big fight in like five minutes, and I know that's coming. I can get really hyped for that fight, imagining what that fight's gonna be like, and getting uh, I excited. See what you mean. And then the, the fight comes, and even if it's not to my expectations, it's not a disappointment to the level of like waiting 10 years for something. Or and no then fight. It's, yeah, or no fight at all. Yeah, like, uh, and I've done that. I've, I've gotten really hyped about something, and then the, the, the twist was like, no, we're not going to fight. And it's like, yeah. ah, how do you like, how do you take this energy and turn it into surprise? Because I'm just bitter. Like, I wanted the fight. Like, but like, but that's okay. Like, I, I don't think it's bad because of that. That's just like, that's me having an expectation and then being, you know, thwarted by it. And that's, oh, that's good. You did it. You Game got me hype is different. For, I yeah, feel but like that's a game, game hype. Game hype's commercial hype. They're, it's trying yeah. to. It's trying to yeah. make. I think you... we're talking about commercial hype in this. Case. Yeah, yeah, yeah so but like, also like it's really weird for me. Commercial hype in regards is like to the exclusively hype. not a good, not good to let foster yeah. it yourself. But also like it's it's pervasive. It's uh, it's not pervasive. Is not the word. It's uh, perverse in the sense that what the studios do is they put out feelers. They 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 put the teasers out and they see what people react to. Like they literally. For years and years, we only had a single CGI video of, of Cyberpunk 2077. But CDPR, they knew exactly what people were hyped for. They knew exactly what to make their game for. And like, if they liked the aesthetic or if they liked that uh, the girl didn't have pants or their blood or whatever. And they knew exactly <laughs> where they were going with it. But they didn't before they put the, <laughs> the teaser out. You know what I mean? So the hype is constructed... As much as by uh, as much by the players or by the people who get hyped, as much by them as as it is by the by the company, it's like the uh, the the No Man's Sky situation is the same. Like they they didn't say things, they didn't say yes the, to everything. The they said Jedi. yes to the Last Jedi. Just this aspect. Oh, because you, you don't you don't watch Star Wars. I forgot. No, but yeah. there was a <laughs> that was a case of a huge amount of backlash because the players watched the previous movie. Then spent two years. I said the players again. I was I always say game terms. I can't stop yeah. it. It's my world. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, people watched The Force Awakens and then had two years to just obsess. And if you were weren't on online fan communities that obsess over the stuff over the time, then you were like immune to this entire aspect, and it was baffling to hear about afterwards. But if you're part of these these groups that just fester and obsess and pick about, pick about every detail and then they like project their own expectations on what the thing has to be in order to be good and so on, then they go into the movie and they feel betrayed for it not doing what they never what it never was going to do. Because like, yeah, like there definitely is like an aspect of like fan communities and individuals being able to just create hype from just on their own, essentially, and and their own expectations yeah. and get toxic when their expectations aren't met. Yeah. But the companies also the game companies also purposely do that in, yeah, in order to make the money. Yeah, but they also like feed they feed certain hypes that they know they 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 might benefit from or can deliver better. Oh yeah. Like, like when I, Sean Murray think, let people believe that their game still had multiplayer yeah. up until it was already out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they had to put like poor GameStop employees had to take little stickers out and put them over the part that said uh multiplayer on the printed playstation 4 discs because it's they even said it on the box and that's how far that lie got which is because, i that is actually a situation where i'm very curious how that happened 
I've, yeah, like, I've never been more you, confused. How do you make a box art that says that when, in theory, you can't even make the box art until it's been like approved, right? Like you don't know what the rating and stuff is going to be. So you have to like wait until someone like tests the game. And by that time, you should know that the game doesn't have multiplayer. It's not like they... It's not like the game went gold before multiplayer was at, like before they realized they couldn't add multiplayer. Like they knew going in, so like they they told the box develop like the, the box maker to like yeah, yeah it's gonna have multiplayer. That, that was a confusing situation. I feel like I should wrap this. It probably up. works, but then it didn't. Maybe <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think they even have had code in the game for for multiplayer. I don't because I, I, so my assumption is that there there there's always a disconnect between marketing and. Uh, and developers yeah. but in yeah i mean in hello games it's different because it's a smaller company so like the marketing team is just sean wasn't so, it like, done there's... by sony though <laughs> the marketing no no he no hello games had to do all of the pr and everything themselves sony oh. just front-loaded money they were just like here's some oh, okay, cash okay. make it work but like sony wasn't they're not going out of the way to do anything that's no we're two uh, we're not... two hours in so i feel like i should wrap this up but there is a audience question that's exactly about the thing we're currently discussing so maybe I should Let's ask that real quick. Throw it out. Uh, Ryan Martigliano asks, which game is the most disappointing that you've played? <laughs> like so on the nose and perfect um, for this exact moment. Mm-hmm. I should have thought because I read that question before. I should have thought about it. Perfect Dark Zero. Oh. Hmm. it's almost almost always a sequel right unless you're part of like the hype cycle which we are for these things like no man's sky i literally like begged to get a xbox 360 because i wanted it so badly because i wanted i like i I spent like a whole summer playing perfect dark and i beat everything i unlocked every item i did all the like the challenge missions i had i have i have the strategy guide for it perfect dark is like my favorite game on the n64 like oh yeah with banjo kazooie tying Perfect like my Dark's favorite top. a phenomenal game, aside from yeah. how horribly and, its aiming has, has aged. And in hearing like, oh, we're going to make a prequel to it, I was like, yeah, that sounds, I'm going to love that. That sounds fantastic. And I played it and you, like, you can hear the little like flute yeah, Jurassic that's, Park. That's the like, moment the child and you died. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is, this, I was lied to. And then like, I mean, to be fair, it was by Microsoft. I should have known better. It's kind of stupid on my part. But yeah, like it's, it's really disappointing uh it's fitting to talk about us all having our own journey of kind of maturing and becoming immune to hype and part of that is getting betrayed (laughs) part of of that is in games industry hurting you in some small way and then you're like i remember that and now i know stove hot (laughs) because mine is also a sequel to one of my favorite games uh my biggest disappointment I, i i can't think past it so it has to be this one was mass effect andromeda and it was just such a i I can't believe you did this to me. Like, like in in media, two of my biggest disappointments ever are probably like Mass Effect Andromeda and like Rise of Skywalker, the newest Star Wars movie, where I'm just like, I didn't know it could, I didn't know being this bad was even in the cards. I like you have certain Watch the prequels. Yeah, no, even the prequels are on, on that level. Like, there's a certain aspect of I don't like know about that <laughs> when you when you when you engage in certain media. This kind of goes back to the, the Skyward Sword, Sword Destruction where people uh, discussion where people talk about it being like a horrible game, but it's really just like moderately disappointing to some Zelda fans. And that's like the worst you can really say about it in some cases. Like 
when you have certain franchises that are certain quality level, there's like a acceptable range of what you think is even possible. And it's like the worst case scenario feels like it still wouldn't be that bad because they're just like, oh, yeah, that's the one we don't play that. We don't talk about that one much. We, we, we don't talk about Mario 2 very much or whatever the hell, like what you consider to be like a disappointing thing in a good franchise. But no, like that, that like we, that, like we were in a car and somebody went to hit the brakes and they their foot went through the pedal and into the asphalt of the road and like the impossible like the, like something a barrier that you didn't think could be broken was broken and like that was so beyond what could have been possibly bad that i it's it was kind of, it's like i grew as a person <laughs> a little bit <laughs> sounds like there's a little pain it. there <laughs> yeah yeah I've, i definitely have a single it out I've had a I've had a decade of learning how to express my feelings. <laughs> uh, I definitely have a similar experience experience <laughs> I, with uh, Oblivion, uh, but I'm I don't think that because I really enjoyed Oblivion when it came out, uh, and then I grew as I played it, oh. and then understood that it was a problem because the game. So your, is... your your disappointment was going back to a thing you liked before. No, no, no! It was as I played it back then, back in two thousand and six. Uh, I had like I bought a new computer to play it and all that, and for the first oh. few hours I was I was just enjoying it, and then I realized what uh, the, how the limitations of the game, and it soured me completely for for AAA RPGs in general. Uh, like it was, it Oblivion is one of the reasons why it took me so long to play Dragon Age. Oh yeah, uh, Beth- Bethesda's I, it, done a lot of damage to my my faith in <laughs> in AAA RPGs. But I think I think it's not my biggest disappointment because. I went back to it recently, and it's it's got a lot of limitations, but it's also got some interesting redeeming features. It's quaint. And, uh, it, it's not Skyrim. Yeah, it's not way. it's not the it's worst game in the world. Skyrim. My my most disappointment, my biggest disappointment, is also it took me a little while to realize, but it I realized it. It's uh, it's a recent RPG called uh, Plane. Uh, sorry, uh, Pathfinder Kingmaker, and. Uh, you're about, to play, you're about to say Planescape Torment? <laughs> no, no, Planescape Torment. <laughs> Pathfinder Kingmaker presents very well because it's got all the trappings of a traditional role-playing game with all the systems and all that. But the more you play it, the more you realize it, it it's shallow and it doesn't have anything there. And uh, I just soured me completely for that company, I'm sorry. And it was very disappointing to finish the game and look back and be like, wow. What could have been... No, it couldn't. It couldn't be. <laughs> it's I. I could go into detail, but it's complicated. So, uh, How about you go? Do you want um, me to go into detail? What is your? Uh, well, let me share mine. Oh. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, is um, it. It was definitely the original Fable. Oh, yeah. I think I was. Interesting. I was. Oh, I, I, I feel like I was promised. <laughs> oh. I feel like I was promised Skyrim. And then I got yes. the original Fable. I read and I just, uh, it was supposed to be forever game, you know? I was going to have Halo as, you know, multiplayer, jump in whenever I want to, and then like a relaxing world to just expand into forever. And it was such an on-rails we RPG adjacent. So hard. It, was, <laughs> it was so disappointing just how, how easy and straightforward everything was and how short it was. And it wasn't this big open world with so many things to explore. And it was just walking from zone to zone, picking up a better sword. 
And I, <laughs> I, uh, I think that that was a painful, I think if more people suffered that painful experience, they would have been prepared for the cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, we have to sit everyone is, down when they're starting gaming and make them read. Like, <laughs> it's like, so, it's they so ha- right. They have though. to read the game informer, like pre-release. <laughs> You're so right. Because like the re- thing about the Fable, reason- where Peter Molyneux promises that like there's so oh much in-depth gosh. camping mechanics that you can get sick in the cold if you're not warm enough, and like and you can get infected by the Balverine curse and turn into a monster, and like just make them read all that pre-release stuff and then play the game. Because <laughs> I I did that. I lived that. I like I told Andrew that I think before where I was just like I fucking I made my I let myself get killed by Balverines like ten times in a row, being like maybe it's just a random <laughs> chance. And it's like no, you the can't promise. get it. There's no Balverine curse in this game. You <laughs> <laughs> just lied. You see, I did. I never played gonna, Fable be because of Oblivion. Of the wolf, werewolf ever. I got I got burned by Oblivion, and I I decided I saw through Fable before it came out, and then everybody was like, eh, and I was like, yeah, and I never played it any of the three. <laughs> I think someone would do that? Just go on the stage of E three and lie? Yeah, just just hurt, <laughs> just, hurt chi- just hurt children, <laughs> especially Peter Molyneux, so famous for not lying. I mean, well, <laughs> we didn't know yet. <laughs> That was yeah, the first I think we that did. Was, I no, think we did. Back, no, no one I, knew about. I, barely I mean, anyone played Black and White. Was, yeah, Black and White. Yeah, Black and that White too. Right. People knew from Black and White too. I'm not just from Fable there. Was, Fable was a breakthrough on numbers. I think. I think that was the big. Oh yeah. Everyone knows he lies now, and then he did it four more times at least. Wait a minute. Fable came out before Oblivion. I couldn't. I, I, my yeah. memory is bad. No, Fable yeah, yeah, came my out memory's... like a, Fable came out a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, They're it's 2004. Oblivion is 2006, games. I think. Oh, yeah. I know. Oblivion's a 360 game. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like Oblivion's a release. release yeah, they, yeah, wow. Yeah, that's ancient. I think so. Chicken Chaser. That's all I remember. All I remember <laughs> God, is Chicken, chicken Chaser. And do you want a sister or a sword? <laughs> <laughs> the only real choice in the entire game is sister or sword. <laughs> I remember like starting, I remember playing the game again. I was like, oh yeah, I should probably check Fable out again because I remember playing it a long time ago and like walking out of the out of the door from the temple where you grew up and it was like, I don't have chicken and chase. I was like, oh no, I forgot all about this. <laughs> yeah. All right, I think it's about time to wrap up. Let everyone go. But this is this has been good, everybody. Thanks for coming by. Uh, if you have Thanks questions for, for the inviting, pod- yeah, absolutely. If, if you have questions for the uh, podcast, you can send them to dialoguechoicespodcast at gmail dot com. And uh, yeah. Thanks for watching like always, guys, and I'll see you next time. Don't buy hype games. (laughs) Have a good night.